What's up, everybody? And this is episode 257 of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, the guys will look at uh, a plethora of movie news that have dropped throughout the week and then uh, some trailers uh, to add on top of all that. And then the guys are also going to be reviewing Green Book, the newest film from Universal and one of the co-directors of Dumb and Dumber. What is all What is all that about? Uh, we have no clue. But uh, And then, of course, uh, Joel will have his uh, menu review of The Favorite. All that and more on this week's Real Me In. What is going on, everybody, on this beautiful Sunday morning in uh, Dallas, Texas, Arlington, Texas, you know, wherever we're recording at. Um, you know, uh, what's going on, everybody? I am Chase Lee, one of your co-hosts on this movie podcast where, you know, you didn't really ask for it, but hey, we're going to give it to you anyways. This is a podcast where we talk about anything, everything, well, anything about movies. Uh, I am not joined uh, alone today. Uh, you know, this is the, a episode that... Um, you know, uh, you know, it's been a couple weeks since uh, Joel has been back on, but uh, Joel is uh, back on this week. We are uh, back in full force, and uh, we're going to be giving you guys a lot of content this month, and it's going to be uh, fantastic. Uh, Joel, uh, how are we? Uh, what's going on this week? You know, uh, you know, screener season has, is upon us. Oscar season, award season. You know, is it is it overwhelming for you, or uh, you know, how are you? How are you faring out there? I'm faring pretty well. I haven't. Uh, I mean, I've watched several screeners, um, online screeners mostly, but uh, some documentaries. I've seen some movies. It's been a pretty crazy week. I watched David Ehrlich's top, top ten or top twenty five countdown video like seven hundred million times this week, of course, because that's a big event uh, every year. Um, yeah, just kind of chilling at work, taking on more hours at work this this month. So uh, that's going to be fun to juggle. Um, Otherwise, just kind of you know preparing for my my grandparents' imminent visit. They're they're coming down for for a week uh, this week. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Certainly excited to talk about the big trailer. This the two big trailers really this yeah. week. So yeah, yeah. That, that's what's uh that's what's kind of weird. Like uh when you and I do not do an episode for a couple weeks it's almost like hollywood knows and they're yep. just like hey we're gonna just drop all this stuff because they're not recording this week so we're gonna just like let it slide and then we're just like no you cannot do that and then we, we catch them in the act and then of course we talk about it but um yeah it's been a, a pretty pretty uh busy week for me as well i've been catching up on all the screeners i mean if you go to my youtube page i've been busy uh you know just posting up everything that i missed including you know like ben is back leave no trace uh, the front runner, um, a bunch of stuff from, uh, uh, you know, like a 24 bleaker street. It's just, I, I just been kind of catching up on all the ones that kind of missed throughout the year. And I've been throwing them on my, my YouTube page. I don't have to do it, but it's just, you know, I, I think it's like common courtesy. It's like, Hey, listen, if I'm going to be privileged to get stuff sent out to me, I don't even have to have that stuff sent out to me, but I want to do them a solid and actually review it for them. And so, um, you know, I've been doing that, and of course, I saw Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse uh, yesterday, uh, and I think that's my and, last and, screening. And I and I hate you for that. No, 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 no. Uh, you you love me uh, because I, I saw it before <laughs> you. Um, no, uh, uh, no. I yeah, it's I think it's my last screening I have for the rest of the year because uh, I don't mm-hmm. got anything anything else booked. Um, I'm seeing the favorite uh, next week, which is a great segue into you know what Joel is reviewing after Green Book. Um, 
So I will not uh, be talking about that because I haven't seen it yet. But um, yeah, busy, busy week indeed. Uh, but you know what also has been busy, Joel, is Hollywood because it just never quits. Uh, so what, what's been going on in that, uh, that news world of uh, the H-Wood? Quite a bit, actually. There's been a lot of projects announced, a lot of directors announced for projects that were already in existence, some casting news. Not a lot of casting news this past couple weeks. Uh, I think that that's probably going to come more uh in the next few weeks honestly i uh, it was kind of quiet on that end but i'll get to that later uh first of all we have that imminent uh resident evil reboot we we learned about that a while ago i think that you and i actually talked about that um yeah because it was announced like two days after the the last one was like in theaters and you're like what are you doing (laughs) like you're just like hey this last one's in theaters but don't worry we're gonna reboot it yeah, it was crazy, and I mean, I couldn't care less. I, I you know, I, I, I liked the first movie. I didn't really like any of the others, so I, especially not the final chapter, um, the one that came out that year. So, it's yeah, it was it's bad. But uh, they are getting a director who proved himself uh, la- just earlier this year, I think, with the horror genre, which is baffling because they're not keeping this franchise in the horror genre but um uh johannes roberts uh who directed 47 meters down is currently on uh, uh currently a work on the sequel which was formerly known as 48 meters down i don't know if you knew this but it changed it's now called 47 meters down the next chapter um because that's really clever uh but he also directed the strangers pray at night earlier this year so i think that he can stage stuff really well um particularly scare scenes uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, other than that, I mean, I just, I can't, I, I can't really get worked up about this one. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead with these next couple of, uh, direct, uh, attached director stories. And then, and then I'll ask you about all of them. Uh, so here's another one that probably no one cares about. Um, because the last time we saw a GI Joe movie was in 2013 and I'm pretty sure that no one at all remembers it um even even remotely i i I literally cannot remember the plot points of that movie i i thought the first one was fine um but now there's going to be a spinoff uh surrounding the silent ninja of the group snake eyes and it's going to be called snake eyes um and it is going to be it's been written by um evan spiliotopoulos who took on the beauty and the beast remake for disney last year and also the huntsman winter's war the years the year before that certainly one of those screenwriters that just kind of does stuff for money i think i i don't think i've ever really seen a truly dignified choice from him and i know that that's like a big diss but it's true um and then there was the, there's a director attached now it's robert schwenka who directed some pretty good movies um just you know one after another i thought um at least that these three were all pretty good uh, Flight Plan uh, with Jodie Foster, really solid suspense thing. Um, the Time Traveler's Wife with Eric Bana and um, Rachel McAdams I thought was a good kind of um, supernatural romance. I, I, I liked that one quite a bit. And Red, the first Red. Uh, he did not direct the second Red, but he directed the first one, and I liked that. Uh, pretty solid action flick. But since then, he's kind of gone downhill. He directed that horrible R.I.P.D. thing. He did... Um, uh, the second and third movies in in the Divergent series, it, it just I don't think that he um, 
you know, he recently kind of got a bump up because he worked um, in his in in the foreign language kind of um, context with a movie called The Captain from earlier this year that I've heard good things about. I, I haven't seen it, but it's uh, filmed in black and white, so maybe he's kind of coming off of that and wanting to do something big. But yeah, this seems like the the wrong step to me because there's really nothing to this character that I can remember as being actually like, you know, interesting. I, I just, other than the fact that, um, what was his name? Ray, was it Ray? The guy who played Maul plays Snake Eyes uh, in the in the series. And I just forgot, Ray Park. Ray Park is his name. He also played the uh, Toad in the first uh, movie, and he also played the body of the um, Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow, some, uh, some other stuff. But, yeah, um, whatever. I, I just, I just, I just don't like that. Um, all right, and then the last thing is also kind of unnecessary, at least to me. Although it seems that they have a clearer vision of what's in store for this. Uh, Disney is doing a live-action movie surrounding Corella Deville, the villain from uh, 101 Dalmatians, and uh, now they have, you know, the, Emma Stone's kind of been circling around it. Apparently, she's been locked in now, but. There's um, a director attached, again, uh, Craig Gillespie, uh, who directed I, Tanya just last year. He also did Lars and the Real Girl about 10 years ago. Great movie. Um, and he's directed a couple of things for Disney since then. Uh, Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm and The Finest Hours with Chris Pine and Ben Foster. Um, and, yeah, I don't I don't know. This This kind of smells a lot like Maleficent to me um there wasn't quite enough of a reason for me to um to get behind an exi- the existence of this kind of story but apparently it's going to be in set in the 80s there's going to be a punk vibe to it um I don't know what that means for Disney I don't know how much of a punk vibe that's going to have but um you know Emma Stone great actress certainly I'm going to get into that later on in the episode uh but uh but yeah, I just I don't see the reason really for any of these. Actually, I don't like any of these stories uh, in particular. Um, what are what are you thinking over there? I don't either. It's like you <laughs> you you purposely fish through the most bland trash can in uh, Hollywood, and you picked out three ideas. Thank you, Joel. Um, so uh, the Resident Evil reboot thing. It's to be honest with you, and this is going to shock a lot of people. Out of the three, this is probably my like I guess most anticipated out of the three just because I actually like strangers pray at night and I actually like 47 meters down. I've seen it more times than I, I'm, you know, like to admit, but, um, you've seen it 17 times, not 17. I've seen it 47 <laughs> times. And I was also, uh, 47 times. Yeah. 47 times. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, with that... 40, 47 viewings down. There we go. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a terrible Roger and Ebert rating. Um, so, uh, yes. Um, I like his uh, his style, um, you know, with The Stranger's Prey at Night. It was a, a definite throwback to, you know, films of the 80s. And with 47 Meters Down, the fact that you're able to work with two actresses underwater like that... Um, for most of the movie and create this kind of like claustrophobic atmosphere. I actually really enjoyed it. And so, uh, and I still think it's got one of the most devastating endings, um, 
you know, for a shark movie that I, I've ever seen, because uh, uh, spoiler alert, she died and she went she went to heaven, uh, and it's just really sad when you when you think about that theory and you're like, oh yeah, um, maybe the, maybe the next chapter. I never saw it and I have no interest. Uh, but <laughs> the um, uh, maybe the next uh, chapter is about is a shark movie set in heaven. That would be that would be fun. That would a shark movie set in heaven. Can you imagine if you got up to the pearly gates and uh, you know you're like all this like years of anticipation. You're like, what is God going to look like? And he just turns around and he's a hammerhead. Um, and you're like, what? Um, so uh, yeah, um, I actually don't mind this piece of news. Do I want to see like a Resident Evil like reboot in general? Not really. Um, I think what's going to really get me on board is who they're going to cast. As a uh, uh, you know, the replacement for Mila Jovovich because she's she's been the face of that franchise for you know several hundred years now, and so whoever you're going to get, it has to be a fresh face. It has to be someone new and exciting for me to get excited. Because right now, all I think about is Mila Jovovich being directed by her husband and really crappy uh, you know adaptations. But you know that's neither here nor there. The GI Joe thing, I could care less about. The yeah. only thing I remember from Rise of Cobra is that um that uh really heavily CGI'd like train scene uh mm-hmm. when they were fighting on the the fast subway where I, I forgot what it was. That was the only <laughs> thing I remember and then Marlon Wayne in a skin tight yeah. suit. Um, and you don't even remember it. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it. Um uh, yeah, I remember that, and then Marlon Wayans uh, probably saying some stupid lines in a skin tight suit. So uh, I could care less about that. And then the Carrillo Deville, Deville thing, you know, uh you're absolutely right. It reeks, absolutely reeks of a uh, maleficent. It's like it's like Disney's just like, hey, listen, this was successful. We're making a sequel. Let's just dip into all of our, um, you know, villains and just make movies. But it's just you don't have to do that. Just stop. Um, yeah, you're you're kind of uh, retroactively reflecting poorly on your re- original movie because what you're trying to do is humanize the villain in some way. Yeah, th- uh, you know, this is in- a person that skins dogs. Yeah. She wears dog coats. Like you can't humanize this person. Yeah, I'm not interested in how she gets to that point. Yeah, I'm. I'm like, not either. And clearly, so clearly, clearly, something led her to that point. Like, like that's it, not. You realize what they're gonna yeah. do, right? They're they're gonna probably start the movie out. She's gonna be like maybe like this innocent little orphan that's just like grew up in an orphanage. She was bullied, and then like she's like an artist or whatever. She writes in her journal, and she's like, "Oh wow, what a sweet little innocent girl." And then she sees a dog on the street, and she's like. I really want to make a coat out of that. And then uh, she grows up and we're like, cool, so we're supposed to like this person? I just, I don't, How are you going to do this? Or, so. or worse comes first, they basically like have dogs attack her or something. And then – because like that's probably the only thing that could get her to that point. And then that kind of, again, retroactively kind of reflects poorly upon your original movie because the point of the original movie is that the dogs were cute. So why make them the – you know, if if they are like some sort of source of trauma for her or something, and that's why she's you know getting bad them by creating codes, or she's just evil, and there's no reason to to humanize her. You know, it, it, uh, it just makes just... no sense to me. And l- listen, I I am all for people looking ahead at the schedule of movies and be like, I don't really want to see that. And so I can definitely tell you right now, this is a terrible idea, and PETA is just gonna like completely <laughs> uh, go against this movie from day one. Um, you know, because you're right. It's going to have, like, some type of, like, dog torture or psychological – something's going to happen. It's just – it's not going to come across really, like, well at all. It's just going to be really awkward, and I just – what a – Hopefully – hopefully this gives uh, – slightly unrelated, but hopefully this gives them the uh, – Disney the um, excuse to put 
the Glenn Close uh, 101 Dalmatians and 102 Dalmatians on Blu-ray because otherwise they're really hard to find on physical copy. And if people want to try to watch those, like I, I know that people would want to watch the original animated movie, which mm-hmm. is great, by the way. Um, I love the original animated movie. Um, but they might want to watch the uh, the other live action one too, just to kind of – there's going to be a pairing there. It's going to be an automatic pairing yeah. with – those movies, uh, just because they were also live action and they were also about Corella Deville, so or her, it featured her. So, I think that uh, that would be good. That would be a good move for them to do. But the fact that it would come, you know, alongside this other thing, just yeah. And then one quick thing about um, the first GI Joe, it's because it comes from the director of like stuff like The Mummy um, and uh, Van Helsing, I think. Um, and I and I just I enjoy that director's work. I think that he's a solid. They're not great movies, but I think that he just directs solid little uh, action throwdowns. He, he's like a reliable action. like studio director. Where like if they need yes. something kind of just in and out really quickly, they right call down, upon those type of people. Yeah, right. A lob down the middle of the audience. Like they're, they're just they're either going to hate it or they're going to enjoy it. And I'm I'm a person who enjoys it. I like all three mummy movies. They weren't all directed by him, but. Um, I think he directed the first and third ones. So I, I, I um, yeah, I like, I like that, that director. So I just, you know, GI Joe, the rise of Cobra, not retaliation. Uh, cause that wasn't directed by him. Um, that was just, it was so, um, all right. So the next two bits of news come from universal. Uh, the first one surrounds the music of the late, uh, great Prince, uh, who of course died a cup. When was it? Uh, was it last year? Seven, I think it was early 2017. Um, of course, very, very sad uh, because he was a genius. And, you know, coming hot off something so insanely and honestly bafflingly uh, popular like Bohemian Rhapsody, of course, people are kind of wanting to go after these um, uh, these musicians that were considered geniuses, and Prince is certainly one of those, or the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, the the unpronounceable thing that he made his name. Um, so this one isn't going to be a biopic, but there is going to be a film based around the music of Prince, much like Mamma Mia and its sequel uh, took on the music of ABBA. And uh, you know what? I'm I'm in favor of this. I think that uh, particularly because Prince's music is so good, way better than ABBA's. I, I'm not a fan of ABBA. I'll just make that make that clear. You know, I have nothing against ABBA. It's not like I, I hate them. I just it, – it's it's like overtly um, – because uh, I just watched these two movies this year. Uh, it's it's just overtly sincere music to the degree that it just is slightly annoying to me. Uh, it just hits me in, in all the places that I find annoying. I have nothing against it. They do have a couple of nice beats, but Prince is way better, way, way better than ABBA. And I think that uh, basing a movie around his music, especially because a lot of it was so uh, distinctively personal and also had was rife with kind of imagery in the lyrics, I think that it, it lends itself better to cinema than, uh, than ABBA does. And that's the best example um, uh, similar to this. So, you know, um, Universal has a lot of musically inclined movies, and I, I think that this might be the one that I'm most excited for. Apparently, Paul Feig is directing a movie that has a lot of music with, uh, from George Michael in it, which I'm really excited because I like George Michael 
Um, and then they also have Tom Hooper's Cats coming. So this is just their latest kind of bid to do this, and this might be the one that I'm most excited to see. Um, I really like this. It's not going to be a biopic. It's not going to be Purple Rain. It's going to be its own thing, and I'm really excited for that. The other bit of news, I'm less familiar with this. I know that the uh, musical is very, very popular. It's Dear Evan Hansen. The, it's a Tony Award winner, um, and it's going to be made into a movie uh, from – Producers Mark Platt and Adam Siegel. Now, Mark Platt produced La La Land and his son Ben originated the lead role of Evan Hansen uh, or whatever, um, whoever it is, <laughs> uh, on, in, the, in the musical. So pretty cool. And it's apparently uh, the younger Platt is going to be reprising his role in, that, in the movie. So um, now what's interesting is that this actually comes from uh, songwriters Binge Pasek and Judd Paul who did La La Land and also wrote the songs for The Greatest Showman. Um, and they, I think another one in the works, oh, they're writing the songs for um, Aladdin. So, and then there's the director, uh, Stephen Chbosky of The Perks of Being a Wallflower and Wonder. Uh, I didn't see Wonder, but I did love The Perks of Being a Wallflower. He's in, he's in talks to direct this. Um, he's no stranger to musicals co-wrote the beauty and the beast remake so i think that this one's in good hands i'm not really familiar with the show um follows a high school senior who uh gets caught in a lie when a classmate commits suicide and grows um kind of brings him closer to that uh that classmate's family um it's a really interesting plot it's it's one that i've been wanting to see in you know in in, but uh, living in the outskirts of dallas i don't have many uh opportunities to do that so anyway what do you think about these two news bits coming out of universal yeah with the dear evan hansen thing i I, i'm just like you i don't really know much about it but if you get a chaboski to come direct this thing like that that material and that subject matter and that story it it sounds like it's right up the alley of like perks of being a wallflower so i think that's a great Mm, yeah a great pick. Um, as far as the Prince uh, theme musical goes, yeah, give me like, yeah. <laughs> like, it, like, can you find one person that's just gonna be like, I'm totally against this. Like, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see like how they, um, you know, represent a uh, a a Prince type movie, you know, after his passing. So yeah, I'm all I'm on board for both of these. Actually, I have uh, I can't really comment that much on uh. uh you know, the Evan Hansen movie, but uh, the Prince thing I'm looking forward to, and I'm looking forward to both, uh, to be honest with you. So uh, that's where I'm kind of at. Cool, cool. All right, so then these next two are also projects being developed by a studio, and this studio is Warner Brothers. Um, Warner Brothers, uh, first of all, is apparently getting their putting their money behind a Plastic Man movie. Uh, now, I am not at all familiar with this character, but um, apparently he can stretch his body for any shape he can uh he can imagine uh he has apparently like superhuman strength and invulnerability including plastic organs which is awesome um and this has been in the works for a while i think uh for a few years i think but they're they're finally you know go uh, uh following through with it uh they got a screenwriter amanda adoko who i think is kind of a first timer to big features like this um and i saw her reaction on twitter it was really really uh nice sweet reaction uh to the excitement of having this um happen so 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be exec produced by Bob Shea and uh, Walter Mata and Chantal Nong. Um, sounds fun, certainly. Uh, we'll see because, you know, sometimes these things can can backfire. But, uh, you know, has to be a hit, um, obviously. They are confident in that. Uh, I'm I'm certainly curious. I, I don't know much about this. This is sort of another Dear, Dear Evan Hansen situation. And so is this next one. I'm not really familiar with this character. But um, Warner Brothers and DC are teaming up to bring Blue Beetle to the big screen. And it's going to be a – this is a, um, a Latino character. Um, so – yeah, Jaime Reyes, uh, who's the third iteration of the character, that's the one that they're going to be adapting. Um, and it looks like it's going to be a Mexican-born screen, screenwriter named Gareth Dunnett Alcocer, who's going to pin the screenplay. Uh, it's, you know, I, I don't know, again, I don't know much about this. Um, apparently it's based on a scarab that comes to life and uh, attaches itself to, to Jaime's spine. Um, increases his speed and strength and it gives him weapons and, and wings and, and shields. Um, this is yet another project for DC. You know, I feel like they they need to slow down a little bit, but, uh, yeah. So those, those are the two. I don't really have any feelings either way about this particularly. Uh, we'll see how these, well, we'll see how these both go. Are you pretty much in the same boat as me? Yeah, I, I don't really have any feelings towards them, but I know exactly what this is. They are jumping the gun, in confidence, by the way, but they are jumping the gun because they know that Shazam is going to be successful, and they are jumping the gun on similar uh, styled type of movies. If you don't think Plastic Man is going to be in the same vein as like a Shazam and be more like a family comedy, then you're mistaken. Um, yeah. <laughs> with the Blue Beetle, I was looking up at the the history of this character. This character was created in 1939. So this is one of those kind of like uh, almost like when Superman was uh, was developed and everything. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went in the same route and did more of like a comedy uh, for blue beetle and more of like a in the vein of like family entertainment so these two projects scream to me that warner brothers sees something special in shazam and to be quite frank with you now that and we're going to talk about these trailers when we get to them but now seeing the captain marvel trailer and the avengers uh in-game trailer and having shazam in between both of those movies I'm starting to come around now to the idea of having it as a palate cleanser because it looks like Captain Marvel and Avengers are going to be a little heavier than a Shazam, and Shazam's going to be kind of like the lighter fare in between uh, both of those, and so it actually might be genius marketing. I have no clue. We'll have to wait until we get there, but now that I know what Shazam's like and what the other movies are like and knowing that... Um, People like the Shazam trailer, and they're jumping the gun on this stuff. Who knows? If Shazam's a huge hit, then these movies are definitely going to get made. But these are um, kind of like a wait-and-see type of deal where it's like, cool, pin a script, see what we got going on, and I will guarantee you that they're waiting on the opening box office numbers for Shazam before they go forward with any of these movies um, within this vein. So uh, that, that's just kind of my thought process. I could be completely wrong, but I think these movies are a... Um, 
a uh, precursor to the confidence that Warner Brothers has with uh, with the sh- uh, Shazam. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see how much rides on Shazam uh, at this point, uh, just because it's so, such an un- unexpected movie to kind of put so much on. But yeah, um, all right. So now we have bits of casting to talk about. Uh, the first one is Tom Hanks, going to be playing Geppetto in Disney's Pinocchio live-action. Now, this is not, again, the Guillermo del Toro uh, for Netflix movie, which is going to be um, stop-motion animation. This is the one that's going to be directed by Paul Paddington and Paddington 2 um, and written by somebody, although I know a bunch of um, uh, uh, script um, drafts out there, so I don't know who's going to be uh, credited, but yes, so they're heavily in talks to have Tom Hanks play Geppetto. Um, this movie is, the original movie is incredibly important to me. I There was, at one point, not a day in the summer of, I think it was like 94 or 5, that I didn't watch that movie um, on the old Shellcase VHS tape um, until I wore it out, and so and I love it. It's it remains probably the darkest movie in the uh, the golden era of Disney, um, and it's generally the most touching too. Uh, there's just there's great stuff in that in that screenplay. It's one of the best animated movies ever made. Um, I'm obviously excited for Del Toro's vision, but I'm coming around on the Disney version. I think that this could work, especially considering King is such a critical darling after the Paddington movies. Um, I think that he could have the right vision to kind of meld, you know, it's obviously going to be part um, live action, part CGI to some degree. The the character of Pinocchio might, might end up being played by a real person, but there's going to be a lot of um, uh, of visual effects kind of playfulness with uh, obviously the nose and the features because he, you know, takes on the appearance of a, of a puppet at first. So, I'm exi- I'm excited for this. Hanks's casting, I think, is a way to basically bring a huge movie star into it. You know, I think that there could be better choices, particularly because you know recently in an interview, Paul Giamatti was saying that he is Italian and has never played an Italian character, um, which is ironic. And I think that he would be the better choice for this. I would love to see that, but obviously, Hanks is one of the best actors ever. He's not just a great movie star, he's a great actor, and so we're in good hands. I just think that there could be slightly more interesting casting choices made for this, um, you know, especially because, and, and I'm not looking forward to the movie, sadly, because of various reasons, including the trailer, Aladdin, you know, Will Smith being the genie is is weird, but I just don't know if he fits, and that's sort of my thoughts here, um, it'll be interesting, so... And it's weird that he's coming off of, uh, you know, coming onto this right after he's going to be playing Fred Rogers um, in a movie directed by the director of Can You Ever Forgive Me, which I did not know until recently. But um, he's playing Fred Rogers and then he's going to come around, come around, play a massive, you know, really, really popular Disney character. So, you know, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic i guess is the best way i can put that uh the next one in con- uh, concerns brie larson uh of course her captain marvel movie just made the trailer debut this week we'll get to that in a second uh but she is going to be in the role of the girlfriend uh in 
I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is Charlie Kaufman's adaptation of the Ian Reid novel uh, for Netflix. And uh, this, if you're not familiar with this, it's the story centers on Jake, who is on a road trip to meet his parents on their secluded farm with his girlfriend, who is thinking of ending things. When Jake makes a, an unexpected detour leaving her stranded, a twisted mix of palpable tension, psychological frailty, and sheer terror ensues. A um, friend of mine out in, uh, and a colleague out in uh, D.C., Dustin Putman, is a film critic um, and has high uh, kind of um, high opinions of novels. And this novel is his choice for the best novel of the last 10 years. So that's pretty high praise, and I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be interested to see what Kaufman does with this. I haven't read the novel. I think I might try to do that before this happens, just to kind of get an idea. Um, Kaufman is a visionary. Just whether it be behind the paper or behind the camera, um, you know, it, it's it's just it's great. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for this. Uh, very much so. So, uh, the last time Kaufman directed a movie was Synecdoche, New York, I think, right? So, or, well, Anomalisa, he co-directed. So, yeah, both really, uh, well, Synecdoche, New York is truly great, and, and Anomalisa was something else, too. So, I'm really excited for this, um, uh, for sure. And the last bit is that uh, Warner Brothers um, is doing that live-action, well, <laughs> somebody called it a live-action Sesame Street movie, which is what they always are. But um, anyway, their their big Sesame Street movie that they're bringing is to the screen, sort of in the vein of Disney with the Muppets, um, has a star apparently, and that is going to be Anne Hathaway. Uh, she's going to be the human. Um, so yeah, it's just it's very interesting. Uh, I think that this could very well be. Uh, a good one. She plays Sally, uh, who was the name of the girl in the very first episode of the show, um, which is pretty cool. So they're going back to the beginning with this clearly in some degree. Uh, it's going to be the first time they have had a uh, Muppet – I mean not a Muppet – a Sesame Street-themed movie since The Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland back in 2000 or 1999 or something. Uh, so I'm certainly excited for that. You know, obviously Sesame Street was a big part of my childhood. So uh, some nice little casting bits. I like all of these stories. These are kind of collectively my favorite. Um, but probably Anne Hathaway uh, of those three. So uh, what are your feelings on all of them? Yeah, with the whole Anne Hathaway thing, um, you know, it, it's a it's a fine pick. And I think um, – I don't think they're going to do this just because it skews more to um... – babies uh than actual children but i kind of wish they would do uh what the muppets did in 2011 and kind of still have a family friendly movie but kind of poke fun of it itself a little bit i don't know i just think that would be um a nice fresh take i know that's I sus- not i suspect that they'll try that honestly. yeah and i, I, I like I, I know that's not like their mo i know that like right. they're primarily like baby entertainment uh, yeah. what you know? That's not a problem because they still have like life lessons and all that stuff. That, that's that's good. And I know the Muppets are a little bit more edgier, but yeah. I just think maybe if you took the vein of like you know a musical comedy uh, while still appealing to families and stuff, and have you know Anne Hathaway be the the Amy Adams, if you will, I think it could it could work. Um, now if they're gonna make just straight up you know what they usually do on the the show and then just 
convert it to the big screen, then you might as well just have it as a an HBO movie. Then it just it, there yeah. would be no cause to have it um, on the big screen if you're just going to do what you normally do. So yeah, because if you do that, you're, you're it's essentially just Barney's Great Adventure all over again. Yeah, and we're, we're not was, we're not about that life. <laughs> yeah, which was basically just an extended episode of the show, and it was it yeah, was, it's just it, it doesn't warrant yeah. the money, the effort, and the passion. It's just you know make, make something right. different. So I'm hoping that's the case. Um, which they did a pretty good job, I thought, with Adventures of Elmo and Grouchland. I, I I thought that that was a good way of bringing it to the theaters. I thought um, it was it was cleverer than something like Barney's Great Adventure, um, which was dreadful. Um, yeah, as long as we stay out of that territory, I think yeah. we'll be good. Um, <laughs> yeah. The whole Tom Hanks thing, this is a pure business move because they they know that the uh, Mr. Rogers movie is going to crush and they're going to mm. ride the coattails off of that. There's nothing wrong with that because just like Joel said, it, you know, we can't really get mad at Tom Hanks for – you know, accepting these roles and stuff because it's Tom Hanks. Like he can do whatever he wants because he is one of the greatest actors working today, uh, and you know, even in the conversation of all time. And so, uh, I, I think it was just something that Disney saw and was just like, "Hey, listen, he's gonna be playing Mister Rogers. He's probably gonna crush it. He might even get Oscar uh, nominations for it. Let's go ahead and ride the coattails and have him play another iconic um, Disney animated character." So. You know, with Joel bringing up like a Paul Giamonti or something like that, I think that would be a little bit more of um, an exciting pick because Paul Giamonti has always been fantastic, but he never gets the recognition he deserves. And maybe this is the movie that would prop him up into finally the stardom that he deserves with like, you know, uh, general moving going audiences. But, you know, Tom Hanks, once again, not a bad pick. Um, So with the uh, Brie Larson thing, this is the cool thing about signing multiple contracts for a big superhero film or a big franchise. Now, I know a lot of people are against it and just ruining the industry, no original movies anymore. That's a bunch of hoo-ha. There's original movies all the time, and this is one of them. Um, but the one thing I really, really, really like about all these actors taking on these superhero films and signing these multiple contracts is that they are set for life in terms of finances. These these are the movies that pay their bills. What I like about that and what I like about a Brie Larson or like a Chris Evans or a, you know Chris Hemsworth is that they'll do these movies, uh, big blockbusters for you know most of the uh, uh, world's population, but then they'll do these smaller films in between, and you know they're not going to get paid that much because they get they are set with Marvel. Uh, so they don't have to worry about that to where they can take pay cuts and do these riskier films and do these smaller indie films. And I think that's amazing uh, because that's, you know, the whole mentality of, you know, do one for them, do one for you. Um, and I think working with Charlie Kaufman is such a great departure, you know, from the blockbusters and to sh- just show her craft to new fans now. Because the thing is with Brie Larson is that, you know, people like Joel and myself or maybe even you guys listening to this podcast – we have known her for years, you know, whether it be mm-hmm. in 21 Jump Street, The Spectacular Now, uh, Short Term 12, Room, and she even won her Oscar for it. Yes, so that, that did put more eyes on her, but there's still a lot of people that don't really know her. So uh, Captain Marvel is going to do that for her, and she's going to get new fans. And so you flip that around, and you have the new fans going, okay, what's she doing next? She's doing the 
what what is this movie? Oh, I'll give it a shot, and maybe people will like it, maybe people won't. But you know, I think uh, working with the Charlie Kaufman is is genius because the guy is a visionary. He is he is the type of filmmaker and the type of writer to where no one does what he does. He any in, in, time when you watch any of his movies, that is his movie. No one can replicate what he does or what he uh, conveys in terms of script or directing. The guy is a one of a kind. I think this is a, a brilliant move. Um, probably my favorite piece of uh, uh, casting. But uh, that's just kind of my thoughts on all that. All right, guys. So now we have a quick Oscar beat. I'm going to be uh, handicapping the film editing and makeup and hairstyling co- uh, contenders because it's been a couple weeks. I'm going to catch up. Uh, so first off is going to be our film editing category, and this is a pretty con- co- uh, competitive one. Um, so right at the top, I have I have a feeling that Roma is just going to take this. Uh, it's such a like an intimidatingly well edited movie. There's another movie here that I think should win, but I I, I certainly think it's going to win. Um, at least one that should win from these contenders, um, because of course on the outskirts. You have stuff like Black Panther or Black Klansman, which is certainly in the conversation. Something like Widows, I think, should just outright win uh, Best Film Editing. Um, and you also have, you know, right down the middle players like If Beale Street Could Talk and Green Book, which um, probably will be a little bit more traditionally edited, but uh, certainly, you know, well edited. Uh, and then you have stuff like Vice, which actually comes from the, the film editor that, Adam McKay used on the big short Hank Corwin um and in my opinion the big short had the best film editing of all of 2015 so certainly going to be in the conversation this year uh something like the favorite is really well constructed well organized uh storytelling and I'm going to get into that later on but uh that's certainly in there a star is born is obviously one of those more kind of traditionally edited um pictures that um should be able to easily get in and and obviously first man i think that this is the one that of the clear contenders should win uh it's just remarkably well edited every this thing is one of the most tense films of the year uh in terms of just sheer sheer tension uh it's it's incredible and it uh it twists you like a knife um you know just like uh uh yeah it's just the tension is palpable, and it's through the editing. So I think that that's the movie that should win, but I, f- I have a feeling that Roma's going to take this. Uh, and, you know, for good reason. It's it's There's a lot of, um, you know, long takes, so the argument is going to be given by people who don't understand how it works that there's not much editing, but there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to... to it, editing um, is together. all about timing. Like you yeah. have to time out the shots correctly. So even if it's a long shot, you have to um, cut it or uh, let it play out in terms of like how how the story flows. Like so, you know, yep. if it is a long take, you might have to chop it earlier. You might have to extend it. It just depends on you know the mood of the scene. So that 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 argument is just stupid. Yeah, it is, and and especially the the fact that Quaron co-edited it um, is going to be something on the minds of voters particularly when they watch the movie i think um in that branch and and elsewhere uh if anybody else votes for that um yeah it's just it's very true uh the next is um makeup and hairstyling and of course this is the one that always ends up with three nominees uh so it's not that much to talk about there's um a clear set of um 
contenders. I don't think that the short list has been released yet, but um, yeah, so we have some there automatically at the top, though. Uh, the fantasy angle is a curious one to me because I have a feeling that there's really only one that's going to make it, and it's the one that's clearly the most impressive just on the face of it, and that's the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. It's it's great work all across the board. It has this, um, uh, you know, every everybody from Keira Knightley's character who um, has, like, pink hair and makeup, uh, and it doesn't look as garish as everything else on screen. It's really impressive. It's probably the thing that should win, uh, in my opinion, although there is another contender here that is is downright uh, baffling whenever you watch the trailer. I've only seen the trailer, but it's a movie called Border. Uh, it's a fairy tale about um, a couple of people who, uh, let's just let's just say, I, I'm just gonna say, watch the trailer. Uh, I don't I don't want to describe the people in this. Uh, I don't know if have you seen the trailer for this, Chase? I don't think so. Okay. Well, when we're done, go watch the trailer and you'll see what I mean. Um, apparently, that is makeup. Um, it's it's quite. It's quite incredible. Uh, but the one that's going to win because it's a best picture contender and because it's the prestige choice is the favorite, which I think is certainly a, a, a handsome winner. There, there's a lot of the rudimentary, you know, sort of um, period specific um, uh, work done on, you know, with the makeup and the lips, with the, uh, you know, kind of that lipstick that only comes in the middle of the lips, you know, um, kind of traditional to that period. Uh, there's a lot of hair, hair styling. Certainly that's probably going to get it nominated on itself on its own. But, and then of course you have something like vice, which transforms Christian Bale into Dick Cheney. Um, and some of the other characters vaguely into the other characters, <laughs> any other figures surrounding Cheney, but mostly because of Cheney and, um, that's going to probably get it the darkest hour nomination, if you will. Um, and you know, even something like Black Panther or Mary Poppins Returns, um, Suspiria could certainly be in the conversation. There's a lot of, you know, particularly for the character played by <clears throat> Lutz Ebersdorf, um, could be in there. Aquaman, obviously a lot of weird kind of Atlantean, uh, hairstyles and, and, and such. So there's some clear contenders here. I think that the one fantasy nominee, though, is going to be the Nutcracker. And it's because it's also going to be something to watch in costume design and production design. Um, it's going to obviously also be in this category as, a, as something to watch. So those are the two uh, categories that I wanted to talk about this week. I think that the favorite and Roma are certainly at the top of both. Um and we're going to go ahead and move on to our trailers this week. Chase, take us into the first one. The ve the very first one. All right. So, uh, you know, we got this one called uh, All is True. And I had no idea this even existed. Uh, but it just kind of came out of nowhere because uh, that's what Joel likes to do. He likes to peruse the Internet and uh, find these, like, <laughs> deep web trailers that no one ever talks about. So uh, this one follows the uh, final days in the life of uh, William Shakespeare. And uh, William Shakespeare is played by Kenneth uh, Branagh, and it's also uh, this film is directed by him as well. And I had no idea what this was, but um, it comes from Sony Pictures Classics, and I always kind of admire the risk that they take with all their um, uh, films under this banner. 
Um, and that's the one thing I can never take away from from them. They might make some garbage with their traditional Sony logo and some really bad blockbusters, but their um, independent like market is uh, quite astounding. You know, with like last year with uh, like Call Me by Your Name and stuff, they just love taking those risks, and I just I adore that. With this movie, um, you know, we kind of see Kenneth Branagh, you know, play William Shakespeare. He's interacting with people in his life, and, you know, there's a really good line. I'm going to mess it up, but it had something to do with, like, I've been living, you know, in a fantasy, uh, and I've lost what's real or something like that. So, you know, this is a this is a guy that has spent most of his life, you know, writing these plays and living other people's lives, but we don't really know how his life is. We don't really know how he interacts with the people around him. And I, I kind of like that uh, aspect. It, it's a, it's a trailer that, you know, it was very just kind of like this quiet filmmaking um, and really just kind of, uh, it, it, you know, show, shows off, you know, the the performances and the characters. And I think it looks, you know, quite solid. Um, it, it, it doesn't look like anything mind blowing, but I think with the, performers at hand and the fact that we've never seen this side of Shakespeare told uh like this before uh I think is really um interesting and you know uh, I just uh he's one of the most influential people in history and so I think um making a movie like this on him on his final days like this is uh quite great and you know just like what Joel was saying with like the favorite um with the makeup and hairstyling and you know the period um uh, set pieces and the costumes look really, really nice. I didn't even know that was Kenneth Branagh at first uh, as William Shakespeare because um, the makeup was pretty well uh, handled. So, yeah, yeah I actually he looks, think it's... He looks exactly like Ben Kingsley. Yeah, he does. Uh, that's why That's me. what I thought it was at first. I was like, yeah. oh, ben, ben Kingsley, that's weird. Like, he's a little taller because uh, Ben <laughs> Kingsley's uh, quite a short fellow. So I was like, uh, why is he so tall? But, um, yeah, a very solid trailer, and uh, I like the cast involved, and it just looks like a really – a uh, nice little different take on um, Shakespeare. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. It doesn't look mind blowing. It comes out like in two weeks, which I didn't realize. <laughs> of uh, course it does. They're, yeah, they're they're pretty late on the <laughs> like actually. Although this was a surprise for people, like people didn't know this was coming, um, and then all of a sudden it was announced, and then the trailer dropped. Um, but yeah, it looks solid. Really good cast. I mean, he's surrounded by you know Judy Dench and Ian McKellen. Um, and yeah, he, and he looks like he gives a good performance here. Um, a really good performance. Of course, Which he's a, we, he's we, a re- we really haven't seen in a while. I mean, I like Kenneth Branagh right. and like, he's done some solid work over the past few years, but we haven't seen like a good meaty role from him yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's been a while since Gilderoy Lockhart, um, which was a great performance. Uh, but Anyway, I, I yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a really good trailer. I'm I'm excited to see it. Probably at home. I'm not I'm not gonna go out to the theater to see this, but but yeah, I'm um I'm I'm a fan. All right, so our next trailer is more a bit more notable, I think, for its song choice than for the trailer itself, although it does look pretty solid. It is Artemis Fowl. Uh, this is Disney's adaptation of what is his name? Um uh, Owen Kofer who this one's about a a 12 year old criminal mastermind named Artemis Fowl, uh, who is, who kidnaps a fairy for a large ransom of gold. Um, and after multiple attempts by fairy police, uh, basically some, some, some stuff goes down. It's, it's, he's, it's in order to restore the family fortune. I read this book years ago. 
Uh, I think I still have it uh, somewhere, but maybe not. I'm trying to because I, I I operate by my uh, bookshelf, so I'm trying to see if I can see it. Um, I think I might see it right there. So I might go back through it at some point. Um, I remember enjoying it. It, it again. It's been like maybe ten years, something like that, more than that maybe, uh, since I've read this, but. I did enjoy it. Um, I never read any of the other books. I think that there were like, what, six or seven others? Um, yeah, th- there's eight books in all. So, um, And then a bunch of graphic novels. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But I just have to say, you know, it looks like a solid production. And by the way, this uh, comes out, and it's directed by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, speaking of Kenneth Branagh. So, and it's written by the guy who wrote um, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which is pretty interesting. So, because that was the, uh, the one screenwriter who didn't do any of the other Harry Potter movies. Um, so, it looks really solid, but I have to commend Disney for using a, uh, a song choice that I did not expect. Um, it's, you know, I always love when trailers bring out the radio head. Uh, but I did not expect them to bring out sort of a, uh, a deep track from their latest album, a moon shaped pool from a couple of years ago, a song called Dex dark that is absolutely haunting and beautiful. It's one of the best songs on that album, but it's not one that's had really any radio time. Um, so I just have to commend the fact that they went that route. Um, this one's got a pretty impressive ass. It's got newcomers in the lead roles, but it's also got Hong Chow uh, straight off uh, Downsizing, which she gave one of the best performances of that year, I, I thought, and that's it's an interesting choice. Uh, Josh Gad's in this, Judy Dench. So I'm excited to see this. Uh, I just have to commend them for making such a, a striking trailer song choice. Um, a song choice can make or break a trailer, and, and people should definitely not um, uh, underestimate that. So... I like this trailer a lot. Uh, I think it's I think it's quite good. Uh, we'll see how it fares. Uh, what did you think of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the trailer. It's not anything that has blown me away. I, the thing is with like Disney live action nowadays, I have not been impressed in a very very long time. And I'm talking like not Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, Disney animated. I'm talking just strictly just Disney brand live action. I have not been impressed. In a very long time, but this looks like a lot of fun. I, I never read the books because uh, I'm not a reader. Um, yeah, surprise, surprise. Um, but I think uh, with Kenneth directing this and bringing back some of his Murder on the Orient Express actors into it is really uh, nice. Uh, that means he liked working with them. Um, but yeah, it, it looks it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, definitely one of the more uh, I guess looked forward to live action uh disney movies uh in a while just because I, I just haven't been impressed um by the trailers of the live action stuff and uh, maybe this will turn it around for me so that's kind of where i'm at so the uh, next... uh i i really i really hope um by the way that this is not you know another like gold golden compass situation because that movie was good <laughs> uh for me but Anyway, yeah, uh, we'll we'll see if it if it can set itself apart from something like that or Mortal Engines or whatever and actually become a a, a success. That's what I, I'm I think so. uh, it's going to be a fifty fifty shot because yeah. with Disney live action. It's either going to be like 
a a hit or an extreme miss. Like Disney live yeah. action are rarely like in the middle of the road in terms of box office and quality. So right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just who, look at Nutcracker, right? Yeah, that movie flopped hard. Flop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you have uh, uh stuff like a like a Christopher Robin where it was like, okay, that was a I guess that was like the first like moderate success and it, ha- it had in a while, but then look, you look at like a Wrinkle in Time that flopped. Um, yeah, of you know, course, the Pirates Perry movie. Poppins, yeah, the Pirates know, movies gonna... might dip in quality, but they do well in box office. So it, Disney live action is a weird thing. Um, yeah. uh, speaking of um, Disney live action, uh, this <laughs> the, this comes from uh, the their sub studio Marvel, um, and we have the first trailer. Which, by the way, I gotta say. Marvel has got some of the biggest cojones I've ever seen in my life because they dropped the trailer and they just call it Marvel Studios Avengers official trailer. Yeah. (laughs) So they are so confident that they know you're going to see it to where people, people know what it is and they didn't have to put the actual title in the, the description. So that's just crazy. Um, I can, I can imagine that basically whenever they were, when they were uploading the trailer, Somebody had a maniacal laugh when they put just Marvel Studios Avengers dash official trailer. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy because they're just like, well, we know everyone's going to see it regardless. Yeah. Uh, and and that's what's so cool about the Marvel brand is that since we are twenty movies deep now, people know what this is, and that's just such a strong like brand recognition that many studios uh, wish they had. So I got to give Kevin Feige all the props because he's just. He's done it, uh, and he still does it with uh, stuff like this. The uh, teaser trailer for Avengers Endgame. Yes, Avengers 4 is called Avengers Endgame. Uh, dropped uh, a, uh, what was it? Yeah, a couple days ago. And so Joel and I were looking forward to it, obviously. And uh, we watched it, and we are going to you know review the next trailer for you guys and all that stuff. Um, and before we move on to Captain Marvel next, Joel, I want you to uh, you know surprise people with a specific movie that we are not going to watch trailers for that actually involves these movies. Um, but we'll get to that in just a second. But yeah, yeah. the uh, Avengers Endgame uh, teaser trailer, this is a perfect representation of what a teaser trailer should be. It captures tone. It captures uh, some of the you know characters and you know kind of where they're at. This this trailer. Um, I think uh, Joel and Brian and myself agree. We are literally seeing the first 10, 15 minutes. They are keeping a lot of stuff hidden from us, which is great considering the events that took place in Infinity War. Perfect, perfect teaser. I love the way it opened. I love the way that we probably saw um, Tony's death. Like we, we are that like that's going to be a precursor to him either getting saved at the last second or actually dying in space, um, which is devastating. But it definitely looks a lot. Um, which I didn't think was possible. It looks a lot darker than Infinity War, um, but I do like the fact that they're able to play on kind of the the broodiness and the darkness throughout the trailer. But then you got good old Scott Lang coming in and having a little bit of optimism, which was a great segue to the title reveal because it was um, the A, the Avengers A. Um, and parts coming together, and then it said Avengers Endgame, and so that is basically representing it. Yes, this is going to be a dark chapter, but the Avengers are going to all come together one last time to see if they can try to fix this um, mistake that they allowed to happen. So um, I, I just thought it was perfect because I don't know anything else beyond what we saw. I 
I kind of don't want to see anything else. I'm, but I'm going to anyways, just because we're going to um, um, not watch a certain other movie. So I kind of need to watch this one. But I think this is a uh, a fantastic teaser, and I love the score in it. I, I really hope um, it, throughout the movie, just like with Infinity War, I think they, I hope they take like um, attributes of the original Avengers score and kind of. Uh, you know, just kind of adapt it into this chapter. And uh, from what I was hearing in the trailer, it sounded really epic. So, yeah, man, I I loved it. I, I can't I can't stop watching. I can't stop talking about it. And what blows my mind even more, <laughs> this movie comes out in four months. Yeah. This movie comes out in four months. It's just crazy. Um, so Joel, why do um now I I, I know this is going to be really tough for you because we have a huge audience. I think there's like over uh, 50 million people that listen every single week. So I, I just want you to be very cautious in to what you're going to say because people – Joel did not like the trailer. He said that uh, superhero movies are for dum-dums and babies, and I just want to know like why he has such hatred for this uh, this movie and this genre. They're lunchbox pale movies. No, I'm just <laughs> Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> no – I'm I'm seriously trying to figure out a way this trailer could have been more perfect and I'm coming up empty because this is perfectly played. It's one one to get this right out of the bat and I have no actual proof of this but I'm pretty sure it is. Um this is a an excellent bit of misdirection because I have a feeling that almost none of this plays out in the way that we see. No, it uh, really it, it's really not going to. They're they're going to do uh, the situation they did with Infinity War with like that in shot with the group mm. running and Hulk is running and you're like, yep. cool, I can't wait to see that in the movie. And, it, and of course it wasn't in there, but I wasn't – I didn't feel like I was um, sabotaged in uh, – you know, In the editing. Yeah, in the editing yeah. because it was – it, it, that shot was still there. There was just little pieces missing that didn't really right. affect the story, so it didn't bother instead me. Of, instead of the Hulk, it was just Bruce Banner and the Hulk buster. Correct. <laughs> and and running. Yeah, it's it's it was a great bit of misdirection. And I feel like that that's happening here. There's even a theory going around. I saw it this morning on Twitter that the last scene, the one with Scott where he's at the front door and he's yelling, and we see Captain America and um, Black Widow kind of re- re- or reacting to the uh, – to the attempt to get in, uh, there's a theory going around that while all of those things are happening, none of those things are happening to each other. So that they're actually watching something else entirely, and they're not actually watching Scott come into the thing. And also, the it's the front door line is is fake. That, there's, there's a theory about that going on, and I, I, I could believe it. I, I think that that one might not be so believable just because of the fact that there are expressions to contend with on the faces of Captain America and Black Widow that I don't think – because the, the trailer makes it clear that um, everybody thinks that Scott Lang was turned into dust um, just to kind of give, uh, give away. But um, they, they think that he's turned to dust. Uh, we see briefly what I'm pretty sure is a presumed dead file. So you have the people – probably all the people who were on Titan that nobody can account for like Peter – um, I, I think that we briefly see Shuri's face, so it may be that they think that, it, you know, that maybe that she was turned into dust, or they think that she was. Um, and, and most prominently is Scott. So I think that they're thinking that he's gone because he, at the time of the, of, you know, as we learn at the end of, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, sorry, spoilers for everybody, 
um, he's in the quantum realm. So I think that it's it's interesting because um, I just I just can't figure out a way that they could have played this more perfectly. They they kind of lead in with this really emotional scene where Tony's in a ship. Um, I don't know what ship though, because as somebody said, that's not the ship that Nebula came in, and it's not the ship that he came in with um, Doctor Strange and Peter Parker. It, it might have uh, been the ship Spider-Man. that the Guardians came in when they Maybe when they so, landed on yeah. Titan. Yeah, it could it could be actually. Yeah, come to think of it, that might have been that might have been because the, the shape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was because the shape was familiar to me, and it's the one that the first time we see the Guardians in in Infinity War, they're flying in that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so that's their ship. Anyway, whatever the case, and of course they're all gone now. So, um, or for for now, um, so <laughs> nobody's using it. Might as well. Um, and you have this really emotional scene where he's kind of, you know, accepted the fact that, I mean, it, it's really stark. Uh, not to, and that was not an intended pun. Um, it's really really stark, because he actually says food and r- water ran out four days ago. I mean, can you imagine what kind of degree of completely out of it he is without any sustenance? It's insane, and, and oxygen's going to be out by tomorrow morning. I mean, it, they really set that up to be a hopeless situation. And, yeah, it's it's just crazy, and it just plays everything so perfectly. It introduces the fact that, um, you know, it, I mean, brings back Ronan, uh, or, or I should say it brings back uh, Hawkeye, who is now Ronan, uh, clearly Ronan, because of the way he enters seems to enter that frame. Um, it's just, it's just the perfect teaser for something so apocalyptic. And, um, you know, they put out re- two really good teasers this week. We're, we're about to get to the other one or trailers. I should say we're about to get to the other one, but uh, this is my favorite trailer of the week in general. Um, because of how, of how emotional and genuinely emotional it is without, Seeming like you know these, it it was it was astonishing what happened at the end of Infinity War, Um, and I think that the way to to reckon with that is with a teaser trailer that acknowledges the characters kind of coming to terms with what's happened, and you know, but first you have to have them um, in a state of shock, and I think that this trailer lives in that state of shock. I think. I think that we're seeing the the total like there's an element of disbelief to it there's an element of kind of coming to terms with it and I think that this trailer just does a superb job of conveying all of that. Um just so, just, yeah, just I, briefly what did you think of uh Thanos using his armor as a scarecrow? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh, I, uh, the implications in that. It just, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I <laughs> the the things that scarecrows represent it's in, it's in, it's incredible and he's absolutely putting it up there to represent that exact thing that scarecrows do and it's just it, it's for fear it's 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 sort of a Jungian archetype of uh, of of all of that it's just really really um excellent so yeah i mean and we see his hand he's still wearing the uh the gauntlet it is which definitely is, fused onto his skin permanently right right exactly i mean yeah uh it's crazy so I um I I can't wait. Uh, you know, we'll we'll be doing uh, in a few weeks our most anticipated, and this is going to be 
high on that list. <laughs> so, so, so Joel, speaking of the, the wonderful characters that we may or may not see in this movie, what is a movie, just real quick before we get to Captain Marvel, that is coming out right. uh, a couple months after Avengers that we are actually not going to see any marketing for because it takes place after Avengers Endgame. We kind of want to be surprised. What is that? Uh, right. So, you know, next week uh, we're reviewing a movie where we had watched the – this is completely separate reasons, but it's it's an important thing to bring up. Um, Moral Engines is a movie that we've only seen the, tra- the teaser trailer for. We were – you know, intrigued enough by that, we were like, oh man, I don't want to see anything else because there was so much interesting about that. So we're doing another experiment. Um, I, well, <laughs> we are. I, I may be going way overboard on that next year, and I'll, I'll tell you why uh, later on in the episode. But um, yeah, so we're doing the same thing with Spider-Man Far From Home, which the trailer was supposed – was reportedly supposed to drop yesterday – um, I know that it was shown at a Brazilian uh, convention, and so people have seen it. Um, and I've read, and I've read kind of like a brief description of what's in it, but I don't want to see it because of the fact that right now Spider-Man is is the dust in the air, um, and it, it, so I just I don't want to know what happened. And it's stupid that Sony would put out a trailer right now. It's supposed to now come out on the 18th, but I just, I don't want to watch it. And I think that it's, it's better. Honestly, I'm going to plead with you listeners, please don't watch it. I mean, we watch trailers, you know, as part of the show's makeup. Um, and we're going to tell you, and that's what we're doing right now. We're telling you right now, we're not going to cover that trailer because why, why would we, it's taking place after a movie that, where we don't know the fates of these characters. We don't know why Spider-Man should be still on earth and why this movie should exist and why, you know, uh, why any of this is happening. Um, and, and Joel, you know, what's going to be the really sad part is that when you and I both see Aquaman, it's probably going to play in front of it and we're going to have to like close our eyes and like yeah, cover our ears. Yeah. It's yeah, pretty much that. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I've been doing whenever mortal engines plays in front of a movie. <laughs> Uh, because, and it's, and it, you know, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll then hear the trailer because it's impossible to not hear stuff in a theater. Um, but yeah, it's, I'll just close my eyes because, uh, honestly closing your eyes takes away a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll recognize a lot of voices, but I won't see anything. So there's physical or vis- visual context that I'll miss and, and thank goodness. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, anyway, so Great trailer, and we're moving on to another really good trailer. Uh, Captain Marvel, um, y'all might have heard of this. Uh, it's, uh, of course, Brie Larson's take on the character, and um, this one we we get to be thrown back in the '90s. Um, we get to see, you know, uh, uh, both-eyed Nick Fury. Um, it's a really solid trailer. Uh, it introduces the the whole idea behind this character pretty well. Uh, it introduces the villain played by Jude Law. Um, really well, and 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 I think that it looks like a solid piece of entertainment for sure. I I just, I mean, and 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 I will say too that for the character being the most powerful potentially in all of Marvel history, they really proved that in the final couple of shots where she's kind of in her zone, you know, blasting people away with her energy source, um, which is I'm assuming in her hands, um, 
you know, kind of blasting away aliens and essentially glowing. It's, it's, you know, her eyes are glowing, her hair is all standing on end. It's, it's a really, it's a really striking bit of action choreography. And I can't wait to see that in context. I, I, I just, yeah. So I'm really excited for two right now for two of next year's Marvel movies. Um, I can't with any particular confidence say that I'm excited for far from home just because it, it's, it just takes such a, it just has such a weird sense of baggage in my mind that it's opening only two months after a movie whose outcome is completely unknown right now. I, I, I just, I can't say that I'm excited for far from home. Obviously, some degree of me is excited because I loved Homecoming, but I'm really excited for the first two from Marvel. I I, I think that um, Captain Marvel and especially Avengers Endgame look excellent. So I'm I'm really uh, I'm excited for both. Uh, what did you think of the Captain Marvel trailer? Yeah, I really liked it. It's a it's a lot of fun. It looks like you said it showcases how powerful she is, especially with that end bit, just like her flying through flying objects and just destroying them and um i think uh the one thing i'm really excited for if uh joel if you don't mind if i get super geeky for a second is the uh the nerd i'm just kidding. <laughs> right uh is the fallout uh of this movie because i'm gonna make a prediction i think there's gonna be two in credit scenes and one of them is gonna be the obvious and she's gonna receive her pager message oh, yeah. that nick fury left yeah, at the they, end of infinity they... war yeah, they've got they to book in that. Yeah. yeah, they have to. And the second one... Actually, I, I think that's going to be the second one. I think that's going to yeah, be that, the, the very end one. It's um, going to be the honestly. end stinger. And so yeah. the mid one, I, I love this. I love the idea of this. I could be completely wrong, by the way. But here's what I'm thinking. Because Scrolls are the main villain in this movie. And there is a comic line where the Scrolls came down and there was a super big war between scrolls and you know the marvel uh heroes and people and it was a huge war in this storyline and so what i'm thinking is that captain marvel thinks she's gonna kill them all there's gonna be one or two that escape somehow and the end credit scene is gonna be see we're gonna see them morph into a marvel hero or you know, kind of blend in with society and be something that we've seen before. So I think that's going to be kind of creepy to know that, you know, whatever they morph into is probably going to be a character or someone that we have seen throughout all of these movies. And it's like, oh my God, like this scroll has been kind of planted in every single movie and we had no idea. Because that's Ooh. the whole scroll's purpose is to blend in with, um, you know, society and be like a mystique if you will. And so mm. I'm really excited to kind of know like which ones is escape um, and which one is going to morph into whoever or whomever that we've seen before. So I, I don't know. That gets me excited. Um, I don't know if that's going to be <laughs> true or not, but uh, I be, be cool. What, if it is. what I wish is something like that would be included in the movie. That, that, um, and that maybe, might be the maybe case at too. the end, right before the credits roll. Yeah. Um, because what I want to happen when I, what I want to have happen is the middle of the trailer or the trailers the middle of the credits um, catch us up on who's been turned to dust right because I think that I think that we need to know this stuff before we head into Endgame yes um, and it just kind of show us like oh you know what maybe even better is 
have that be maybe do what you're saying with the scrolls and then also at the end the bookend to the to the nick fury stinger at the end of infinity war is a, a big elongated scene of her witnessing a bunch of people being turned to dust and that's maybe intercut with all the characters that we know that we don't know the fates of um you know they're kind of learning their fates um d- discovering what's happened to them because again we don't know what happened to pepper we don't know what happened to Aunt may um you know we don't know what happened to happy hogan um it, it's just we need to know that stuff I, I have a feeling that they're gonna catch us up to that point and maybe the end singer can be kind of that deal where um all of this stuff happens and then it kind of cuts to her and her direct surroundings of who's disappearing and then she gets to page her thing and jumps into action or or is woken up if she's like i I don't know something where she comes she comes back into it because clearly there's 20 years we gotta (laughs) you know 28 years or whatever we gotta um account for in the timeline but um yeah it's it's gonna be really interesting for sure um I can't wait. Uh, yeah, I, I, I right. have the I have the same implications as I said about the first teaser. It just looks like a great blend of Guardians and Thor, and you yeah, know, I, I couldn't yeah. be happier about that. So yeah. Um. All right. So moving on to the next trailer is something I know Joel is super excited to talk about. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this one is uh, the sequel to Happy Death Day, and this one's called Happy Death Day to You. Uh, like two, the number two, and then you, just you. So, um, that's what we're dealing with. And here's what the the plot says from IMDb, this is one of the most exciting plots I've, I've read in a long time. You, are you ready? A uh, sequel to the 2017 film Happy Death Day. Um, <laughs> that's actually what it says, but right below it, uh, if you read further, it does say this. Uh, two years after the events of the first film, uh, uh, the main character re-enters the time loop again to determine why she was entered into it in the first place. She must also face a revenge-seeking Lori who has been resurrected by the power of the time loop. Um, now, the first Happy Death Day, I I actually really liked a lot. Um, it was very stupid, um, but I had such a fun time watching that in the theater. A horror version of Groundhog Day signed me up. Um you know what I like about this trailer is they they reveal the uh, the killer and the ending of the first film uh, as if you've already seen it. Like, what if someone had not seen it and they're just like, like me, just, for instance, like right. me, because I saw this against my will in front of. I think it's been a while, actually. I think I saw this in front of. Um, oh gosh, maybe Halloween. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that would make sense because that's a that's yeah. a Blumhouse movie. Um, yeah, I think that's when I saw it, and then it finally came around and was posted on the internet. But it's been like two months uh, since I saw this trailer, and I still remember it because I remember being oh, so that's who that was. I mean, it's not really surprising to me, you know. Yeah, it was it was one of those <laughs> twists that was just like, ooh, oh, the killer yeah. was her friend the entire time. It's like okay, cool. <laughs> it's like like when have we not seen that in a horror movie? Right, but um, I mean that's. That's all. That's what Scream was about. But anyway, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I I like the trailer. It's it's something that doesn't make any sense. But I cannot wait to watch it. Like I yeah. want to know. I want to know why um, this time loop has started. I want to know why she was the killer. I want to know why she's been picked. And you know what? If Christopher Landon can give me some stupid reason, I'm gonna eat it up. I'm gonna sit there with candy, popcorn, and just enjoy the crap out of this movie. This is one of those movies that it 
like on its surface, it just doesn't make any sense. But you know what? I had such a fun time watching the first one, and I want to see um, the reasoning behind this time loop, even if it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard of. Um, so Christopher Landon, Blumhouse, give it to me. I want to see it. And I will also um, uh, comment on the fact that I'm kind of impressed they got all the actors to come back, all the same set pieces mm. and everything. Yeah. Like, it literally <laughs> looks like an exact replica of the first one. Um, and so uh, I know that's not easy to do when you're making a movie, so kudos to kudos to that. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was just one of those horror films to where – it's unlike uh, because I saw it in the same year. Unlike a Bye Bye Man, where that was just just dumb. The acting was poor. It was written poorly, and it's just something I didn't really care about. Yeah, to where, same like, simple concept kind of setup. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like a yeah. simple concept setup. But I think the reason why Happy Death Day worked for me is not because of the story. Um, I do like myself some very cheesy PG thirteen slasher films. But it was the concept. It was the editing. It was the fact that it kept going at this rate and just it kept staying fresh. It didn't. It didn't become stale. It was just one of those movies that, as it kept going and going deeper down the rabbit hole, I just found myself to be entertained by it. And uh, yeah. you know that that's a, a testament to the editing. So it's it's easy to devalue commitment to a concept, yeah. and that's what like something like the Buy My Man totally like reneged on because it just it was it was. A concept that could work easily. It, it was a good concept, and it was just the crappiest version of that concept. And and I'm not surprised to hear that Happy Death Day works. It just everything about that first movie's trailer, from you know, just the use of the great "Into Club" by Fifty Cent, a great song. <laughs> to to it's a great song to set a mood um, about you know this is kind of college life and it's wild and crazy and now this crazy stuff's gonna happen and they set it against this song it's a great trailer i i missed it and honestly though like i agree with you about this trailer because this is this has convinced me to finally actually watch the first movie finally joel thank you i've been telling you this for over a year now i'm probably not we're not gonna review this that week because (laughs) that week is the the week that uh, alita battle angels comes out so it's it's you know that's the big one but um but I will see it at home. I, I, I will watch both at home. I, I'm sure of it. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited now because it is a clever trailer. It looks like it's kind of this time loop is looping in on itself and it looks very self-reflexive in that way um, and, and self-referential. It, it just – it looks fun. It looks stupid, but it looks fun. Like, Joel, and, I can't wait for you to watch it. And I'm literally going to get this text from Joel word for word. He's going to be like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen, but I had such a fun time watching it. <laughs> I'll be like, you know what? I, I agree. <laughs> now, you know it is a horror movie that looks dumb in all the stupid ways. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was basically looking for filler. I probably shouldn't even put this in there. But uh, our next one is Pledge. This comes out in January from IFC Midnight, which means that it's going to get one theater in, in L.A. or something and then <laughs> be put on on VOD. Um, it, it looks so stupid. It's basically, uh, you know, these people come to be pledged by a, a fraternity and – it turns out that the fraternity members are all basically uh, John from Jigsaw. Um, it, it's just so stupid. All the acting looks terrible, and it looks like it was shot on the cheap. It, it just, just, yeah. So let's get past this one. What did you think? <laughs> um, well, first of all, um, because I, I like to retain a relationship 
um, with the studios, um, IFC, um, I, we, we typically get stuff from them. So I actually can't wait to watch this. Uh, so with that being said, this trailer is awful. Um, I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Um, it, it's going to be so stupid and dumb, but yeah. it, I think uh, the one thing that kind of irritated me the most is that we have seen pledge movies so many times to where you can try to make them different, but they ultimately all come out the same. Like whether you make it more of a drama uh, like that movie, what was it, Goat, that came out yeah, literally like yeah. last year. And it's like, how many more movies do we have to have of pledges, you know, being tortured on stuff? It's just, this one takes, like Joel said, more of like the Saw route, and it doesn't it doesn't even look entertaining on that level. It just, it's just... Uh, it just looks incredibly visually ugly. It just, does. It's just, just the... it, it's all greens and like blues and blacks, and you're like, I can't even yeah. tell what's going on half the time. At, the, at this point, low budgets are no excuse. You can do a lot with a low budget, and these, it looks like these people have done the bare minimum, and it, and it just, it looks less than something on TV. It, it just, it doesn't even, it doesn't even look like it's up to TV level. Well, and, and like I typically like appreciate IFC Midnight movies because they they are balls to the wall, like really ones, yeah. like gruesome horror films but like yeah. you know they they understand the entertainment like kind of midnight aspect value to it this just yeah. doesn't even have it it's just kind of right. like hey we needed a movie to fill a, uh, a slot next year yeah here you go yeah they have some good ones there's this movie from earlier this year i think that you would like it actually it's uh kind of this dark fable called wildling it had bell pally and brad duriff and it was good and it came from ifc midnight they're they're able to stumble upon good content but it's just this clearly is not. <laughs> no, Unless I, you see it and like it, I, I, I guess. But it's just, yeah, it does not look good. And and the performances are going to be something to try to get over because the, they're really bad, at least on the basis of this trailer. Um, it's it's bad stuff. So, um, yeah, all right. So take us into this last trailer. So this last trailer, uh, just to spoil it for you, is my favorite trailer of the week. Uh, you oh, really? mi- okay. you might have thought it was Avengers Endgame, which is definitely up there. But if you're and for me, about, if it is an end game, it's this so exactly it's a kind of tie between the two. Yeah. Exactly, it's one of those movies that when Joel sent me the link, I was just like, "Oh, this is gonna be like one of those like throwaway uh, movies, kind of like a pledge, where it's just like, okay, it's there. It doesn't look really exciting. Oh my god, I was so wrong. I, I will be glad to admit I was the probably the most wrong on this trailer in terms of uh, judging a book by its cover. This is such a great trailer. And this is also a prime example as to how editing a trailer is an art form. Because mm-hmm. this movie could be the worst movie that Joel and I see next year. But the editing in this trailer has convinced me it's going to be a good movie. And and that that's the, the great thing about trailer editing. It's supposed to manipulate you into thinking a certain thing. And this does that. It made me think that this is going to be such a tight-knit really just great thriller that's going to keep the suspense levels up throughout the entire time and not let go. It's the type of film that's going to, you know, um, strike you, hold you by the throat and not let go until it's final breaths of the credits. And I absolutely love that. So what is this movie? Uh, cause you're probably thinking like, what, what, what are you talking about? So it's called the standoff at Sparrow Creek. And this one, uh, tells the story of, um, there's a mass shooting that happens in this town and the prime weapon that was used was an AK 47 and all these militiamen kind of get together in the little club or whatever. And they realize one of their AKs is missing. And so they kind of, um, 
uh, try to figure out like if it was someone within their group that committed this mass shooting, and you know, there's a, a former cop that's involved in this militia group now, and so there's a lot of moving parts going on, and you know, it's got a, a, a great cast to where you don't really know their names, but like um, you see yeah, their you faces. You definitely know their faces. You uh, know their faces, and yes, it's great a, character actors. Yeah, great character. Uh, actors, whether yeah. it be James Badge Dale or uh, Patrick. Ishler or uh, you know Brian Garrity, I believe that's how you Garrity, pronounce it. Yeah, Garrity. Yes, yeah, and so, also Chris Chris Mulkey. Uh, you'd know his face. He's like in everything. He, he's a great actor. Um, he's I think the oldest one. Um, he's he's the one. You, you'd know his face. I, I'm not good at describing faces, but he's the oldest of this group um, by quite a few years. And yeah, he's he's in a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's just great that, It's just that. Uh, type of cast where you go okay I, I recognize that person that person that person but I didn't even care because I was so riveted by the story and just the because um, this basically just looks like a um, an hour and a half of interrogations and I it, like I'm, I'm totally I'm totally down for that where like you know this gun's gonna go missing and they're gonna be like all right who did it and they're like I didn't do it and they're like they're all gonna just grill each other to where I'm um, suspecting that the third act is just going to be an explosive act, which is great. It's just going to ratchet up that tension and just explode on screen. And it just looks like a really great kind of, um, you know, Alfred Hitchcockian thriller if he were to make movies of today's time. Because this also kind of deals with um, the problem we have in this country with, like, mass shootings and the guns being used – that are used to cause these mass shootings, which is, uh, for the most part, the AK-47. So there is that kind of um, kind of modern take on this, too. And so there's a lot of moving parts within this that I just I really enjoy. And as a piece of editing of a trailer, it is outstanding. And I don't know if I told Joel this, but I'll tell you guys this. Um, I'm a sucker for any trailer that uses uh, the ticking of a clock to mm, yeah. uh, use as its editing um, kind of, uh, you know, engine, if you will. And so I'm a sucker for it. If you can do it correctly, I'm just like, yeah, tick that clock, baby. Like, what's the countdown going to go to? So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love the trailer. It's between this and Avengers Endgame. I might edge this one up because this one came out of nowhere and just completely floored me. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. It looks kind of looks Fincher-like. Um, in, in in some ways, the the visual scheme particularly uh, reminded me of something that David Fincher would would apply to a movie. Um, and I it doesn't look quite as you know elaborately plotted as as a Fincher movie, but it does look really tense. Uh, look really looks really well acted. I love James Badgedale. Been a fan of his since 24. Back in um, I think it was 2004, he was in the third season, had a great role, and he's just kind of come up as this great character actor in the in the past few years he's been in stuff like iron man 3 and the lone ranger and um yeah he's just he's really good and um so yeah really really strong trailer i i was surprised um i had not heard of this movie uh before watching the trailer and it just kind of came out of nowhere which is amazing um, because it premiered at tiff and we hear about all those movies that premiered there. right yeah it, it must have been one of those that kind of got lost in the in the rest of uh the other movies but um, all right, so guys, we're shifting into our reviews, uh, and our first review is the one that we share, and that is Green Book. Uh, this is the latest movie from director Peter Farrelly, who, of course, 
usually works with his brother Bobby on comedies like there, There's Something About Mary and Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin, but here takes a shift to the dramatic, uh, or to sort of the dramatic, um, in the story of uh, Frank Vallelonga, uh, known as Tony Lip to his friends, to his friends um, who is kind of a bouncer for a club and is asked one day to drive a black uh, pianist named Dr. Donald Shirley, uh, played by Mahershala Ali, and of course uh, Viggo Mortensen plays Vallelonga. Um, this takes place in deep in, in uh, this is to take place in the deep south of the 1960s before the Civil Rights Voting Act of 1964, um, and so uh, essentially it's kind of an experiment on Shirley's part because um, he wants to kind of return or or, or give some sort of um, uh, uh, credence to to his to to the south's view of black people um as uh, first of all not a not a person who grew up in the south he grew up in the north and um yeah so these two kind of joint forces on this road trip with uh Vallelonga driving and and Shirley riding in the back uh on this concert tour through the deep south um all right so I made it kind of clear when this trailer came out that I was not a fan of it. Um, that was one of our more infamous disagreements on in terms of trailers, Chase. Um, you thought it was really good, and I thought that the trailer uh, cut the film to make it look kind of like a blindside crash-style disaster. I, I was not a fan, um, and I'm happy to say that I was, for the most part, wrong. I, it it definitely isn't a subtle movie. Um, there's a lot of blunt filmmaking here. It's cinematography and, and, and stuff isn't much above a TV movie, but, um, I'm, I'm glad to, to say that I was mostly wrong. It's quite a good movie. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and let you start with your review. Yeah. So, you know, uh, as Joel alluded to, you know, the, the trailer disagreement was one, (laughs) One of the bigger disagreements we had, I did think it looked pretty, pretty well done, um, and I was excited to see what Peter uh, Fairley would do because I don't know if you guys know this, but a little insight into my film taste: Dumb and Dumber is my favorite comedy of all time. I absolutely love that movie; it still makes me laugh to this day. And the sequel can go burn in a dumpster, um, <laughs> but uh, you know that's neither here nor there. Uh, but the original. And even with like Fairly's some... lost his way, uh, in other words, kind of as a comic director. Yeah, yeah he, he's definitely <laughs> lost his way. But I mean, not necessarily like this. This movie does have those moments and we'll, we'll get to that. Well, but yeah. he definitely was really. I mean, I mean, as a strictly comic. Oh, yeah. Strictly comic for sure. <laughs> um, Dumb and Dumber 2 is just it's one of those prime examples to where like movie movie 43. Oh, ugh, God. Yeah. yeah. The fact that they're a part of that just is also baffling that he would make this as well. But yeah. Um, you know, Dumb and Dumber, There's Something About Mary, which Joel finally saw earlier this year for the first time. Wow. Um, Masterpiece. Yeah, it's, it's such a great comedy. In that... <laughs> and King and Kingpin I watched for the first time this year, too. I think it was really early in the year. Yeah, so, you know, I, like, I Kingpin and, like, yeah. uh, uh, even with, like, uh, Me, Myself, and Irina, I like that one. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah. so I just think they were the type of filmmakers that really – struck gold in that specific time frame and they haven't really rekindled uh their comedy 
so to speak, uh, since then. Because, um, like I said, Dumb and Dumber 2 was just it was an embarrassment on all fronts, uh, especially after Jeff Daniels won the Emmy. Literally right before that, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So going into this, I was like, okay, so what is one half of the Fairley Brothers going to do? Like, are they going to make this into a slapsticky type of comedy? Are they going to implement the dramatic weight to it and be more of a blend? Is it going to be, you know, um, a more drama? Like, how are they going to portray this? And so what I thought uh, Peter Fairley did uh, was really kind of take his sensibilities as a director that he uh, had uh, with his brother on Dumb and Dumber and implement it into this. And it's like Joel said, it's not like a a visually striking movie. This is more about the characters and the story. Because uh, it, it does kind of look a little uh, non-theatrical, if you will. But, you know, I'll let that slide because the story was engaging. I do like um, the fact that he took his road trip buddy uh, movie sensibilities, applied it to this... And made Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali have wonderful chemistry together. Even with their personalities clashing on screen most of the time, they still had this camaraderie that was uh, really kind of infectious to see. Because um, Viggo Mortensen had such an energy about him, Mahershala Ali had such a you know somberness about his character, but it just worked in harmonious fashion to where I was like, okay, this is definitely the Dumb and Dumber part of. Um, his directing style, you know, with the whole road trip thing and the comedy from Viggo Mortensen's character and even Mahershala Ali's uh, kind of sarcasm a little bit, all that was there. And then when you shift over to more of the um, the dramatic way and the the racial insensitivities, I thought that was also uh, handled well for the most part. It's like Joel said, it's not like a deep movie that gets into racism or segregation. It's a really kind of blunt movie sometimes. It really just kind of gets in your face and just kind of moves on type of uh, movie about racism, but I still thought they were effective because of the performances and the the ability of the actors who sell me on what was going on. Um, there was even uh, one scene where, you know, uh, uh, Mahershala Ali's character, you know, he tells Viggo Mortensen that he doesn't fit in with uh, any community. He doesn't fit in with uh, the rich community, black community, white community. He's just he feels like an outcast, and like there were several moments where you just feel so bad for him. Um, and once again, that comes across through the through the performances. But going back to uh, Peter uh, Fairley for a second, I like the fact that the movie was structured the way it was, and the fact that um, they took this road trip from point A to point B. Because not only did it show the growth and progression of the road trip, but it showed the growth and progression of uh, how intense the racism guy and the growth of Viggo Mortensen's character. Because he is, uh, he's not a, he wasn't a loud racist at the beginning of the movie, but he was definitely the type of racist that was very subtle and got under the uh, skin of his wife quite a bit. But towards the end of the movie, like he, he becomes very great friends with um, Mahershala Ali and uh, you can really sense that bond and that friendship and he grows so much as a person just on this road trip that I think is uh, really quite powerful because a lot of people that are racist or you know um, think this way 
they're very close-minded people. They live in the same city or the same town for all their life. They don't go out and explore things. And so I think with that road trip, it was very crucial and very essential to his character to where um, I thought that growth from point A to point B on the road trip was really great um, as a progression as well as the characters. So, uh, yeah, I think Peter Farrelly did a um, a pretty fantastic job. And to go on to the writing a little bit, because uh, he was one of the uh, one of the writers, um, I thought it was, the movie was quite funny. It was the type of movie that had such a very welcoming presentation to it in terms of its dialogue and its characters and it was it was very crowd pleasing i mean joel and i saw this together and the crowd loved it um Mm -hmm. it was definitely funny at some points at a couple points where joel was cackling i've never heard that man cackle next to me as loud as he did uh in some parts for uh green book which i did too um uh especially from vigo mortensen's character um but also i I just uh i love the huge amount of heart to it uh, even if it doesn't really play off um, in more of a, uh, you know, like kind of Joel said, a non-blunt way to tell um, the racism and the segregation, I still thought the movie had a lot of heart to it and uh, definitely characters I would love to see on a road trip again. Um, so that is definitely uh, something to take away from it. Um, to go back on the, the humor a little bit, I will say that I like Viggo Mortensen's performance quite a bit, and he really sells this person as a person because this is based on um, real-life people to where I didn't really see him in the role like Viggo Mortensen. But I will say that you know, with his humor did come an accent that was borderline uh, cartoonish, and he was riding that thin line, but I think he did well for the most part. Um but yeah, to go off into the performances, uh, Mahershala Ali, once again, fantastic. Uh, he's just the type of actor to where, you know, once he won that Oscar for Moonlight, he's just been, um, you know, kind of knocking it out of the park ever since. And uh, I, I do have a, a bit of an issue with the marketing a little bit on the poster. Um, if Mahershala Ali is the one that won the Oscar, he needs to be front billing. Uh, I don't care if uh, Viggo Mortensen has more clout than he does. Uh, Ali uh, it's has. Also, it, it's also about contracts. But, I, I I know it's yeah. all about contracts, <laughs> but it's like I he's the one that won the Oscar. You put him yeah. above the nominee. I'm you know I'm just saying. Um, but um, yeah. Uh, so you know to kind of branch off from the performances, I thought the supporting cast did you know pretty well. Uh, Linda Car- Cardellini, a uh, nice little role she had. Um. Uh, you know, everyone else that you kind of meet on this road trip, uh, whether it be the kind of nicer people that they come across or even some of the more disgusting, you know, racists out there. I thought everyone was really committed to their role and um, really kind of sold the part for me. And then, yeah, the, you know, music was uh, quite fitting. It's just, it's one of those things to where, like, I kind of have to stop my review because beyond that, it's like Joel said, it's not really visually striking. It's not really that powerful it's just a really good crowd pleasing type of movie and there's nothing really wrong with that um it's not going to personally go in my top 10 right Um, not mine either (laughs) yeah exactly but i really really like it and i'm going to give it a b plus and i would only give it that plus because of uh vigo and mahershala's performances because uh if it was not them i don't think the movie would have been near as good and it might have been more of a lifetime movie um, but they were able to elevate it to a slightly 
better than TV movie, but it still has um, those qualities. Um, but I will I will say this before I hand it over to Joel. It may not make my top 10. And yeah, I gave it a high grade, but so what? I gave a lot of movies a B's and B pluses this year. But I, I really wish people would calm down on people hating on this movie. I don't understand where the hate's coming from. Because uh, I know the National Board of Review named it as their favorite movie of the year. Okay, that's one group that named it their favorite of the year. Everyone's going to have difference of opinion. I don't see why like this would be a controversy if this was someone's favorite. I'm not going to argue against them. Like, yeah, it was a really good movie. It's not, you know, um, a great movie to me that left an, uh, uh, you know, an impact. But in the moment for that two hour and ten minute runtime or whatever, however long it was, I was thoroughly entertained. It was a very entertaining movie that did have some very mature stuff in it that um, was, uh, you know, nice to, you know, have in there. But I, I had a good time good time watching it and so you know if it is on someone's list do not go after them um i don't understand where this backlash is coming from it's just like with the stars born i love that movie i'm gonna tell you guys right now spoiler it's not my top 10 but i love that movie but if you want to put it in your top 10 i don't understand why people should um cause like this wave of backlash it just makes no sense to me so um b plus for me for green book i enjoyed it quite a bit so if you want a good crowd-pleasing movie uh, with some really funny moments, um, some really great dramatic moments as well, and some great performances. I suggest you check this out. And to be honest with you, um, I hope Peter Fairley does more stuff like this. And I think if this is a representation of what he can do outside of just doing comedies, then I'm looking forward to his future. So um, this is definitely um, the movie that will make me forget just temporarily, make me forget that he did movie 43 and was a part of that, but uh, for right now, he's on the right track. And then it'll revisit your nightmares. Uh, oh, no. good lord. Uh, I, I paid money <laughs> to see that in theaters, by the way. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, so I could probably provide a little bit of insight into why it's kind of been putting put into some target sites in terms of um, in terms of its response. I, I It's... It's another movie, and it undeniably is this thing. Uh, this is not a this is not a value judgment yet, uh, but it is undeniably a movie about race seen largely through the perspective of a white person, and I think that that kind of puts it into, um, again, just kind of puts it into the sights of people who don't think that that's a particularly wise perspective right now. Um, I will say though. That there's a difference between something being politically antiquated, which this movie is, and I'm going to get into that in a second, and something that's politically naive, because naive is a different thing entirely. If this movie was stupid about its politics, that would be one thing. I don't think it is. It's certainly a very old-fashioned movie, uh, or, well, a comparatively old-fashioned movie to something like The Hate You Give or Blindspotting um, or Black Klansman or something that takes the perspective of a black individual it's going to be it's going to be more antiquated than that because there's there's simple matters of perspective there that aren't that aren't the same um they aren't the same and so um so i think that that's why this is kind of being seen as this year's version of the blind side or crash uh two very naive movies about race um or that have racial elements in them that are that are naive 
this is not the same thing as them, though. And I think that um, the, the movie has good intentions, and I think people right, need to I, understand that. I, yeah, I think it has better in, in, intentions, and I think it actually is found in in one. Well, not it, it's found all over, but it's found specifically in in one scene that I found quite striking. Um, oh, the, it, the when they uh, pull over and he gets out of the car. Yeah. yeah. So it's it speaks even louder than something like when he's beaten up. Um, yeah. In the in the bar. Or or something that's that's very very like obvious. Oh my gosh, you know, ra- uh, uh, racism is wrong with all the words capitalized, which is what those scenes are saying, and that's why the movie is politically antiquated. But I don't think it's naive, and it's because of the fact that the movie includes this other scene, and I don't think it would include that scene unless, to some degree, it knew what it was what it was doing. And basically, they've they've pulled over because something in the engine um, carriage is just just failed and so they have to kind of pull over and and the mortensen character gets out to look at it and meanwhile um you know they've been on a long drive so the ali character wants to get out to um to stretch his legs a little bit and uh eventually uh notices that to his left is a plantation with uh slaves on it working and he a black man who has accrued some form of economic privilege is looking upon those without it. And I think that it's basically the the scene is conveying this this idea of intersectionality, which is, you know, I I think that Jackson's been on to to explain it some, but um on a previous show, but uh you know, he has the privilege of somebody with a great amount of money, but not the privilege of somebody with white skin. And I think he's coming to realize that he is not seen as any different than these people in this state, even though he has a lot of money in the North, that's, it's, it's just a different story. And I think that that scene is kind of at the heart of this movie, um, mainly because we then get to see the lack of response that the Mortensen character has to the scene, because he then goes over, opens the door for him, kind of half-heartedly glances over at the, at the plantation of workers and then just drives off. And yeah, he, he this, doesn't think anything of it. He that, doesn't that's, think that's anything the, of it. Exactly. The time period, yeah. Yeah, he's he knows about those plantations. He's also from the north, but he knows about those plantations. He probably expected it. And I think that it was maybe slightly less expected for the Ali character because of where he is economically. And it's something that he's just he's unable to reconcile in his brain at that moment. And that moment is a very telling one. Um, and I think it's also very clearly in the performances uh, for Mortensen and Ali. I mean, I agree with you about Mortensen's accent. I think that he's he leans a little bit heavily into it. But he's also playing a guy who is a cartoon. Uh, he just is one. He's he's loud, he's brash, and he has to be because he's a bouncer. And that's that's the role of him. Um and I, I liked Ali, too, because uh, when um, – and, and, and quite a bit, actually. He, he's, he's able to, um, to convey this idea within this man that he wants to not you – know, to use quotes around this phrase, act black. He doesn't want to have the lingo. He doesn't want to have the inflection or the tone. He wants to be what he feels is more dignified in his mind which is something completely separate from a stereotype that is gradually forming about a black person in America. And I think that he does that really well through 
you know, this sort of high, more reedy voice, um, that he adopts and, um, the properness of, you know, kind of use it like in one scene using a blanket, um, and not wanting to get Kentucky fried chicken grease on the blanket. Um, it's, it's a really good performance from him. And I, I just, uh, I, I liked it a lot. I, I, I think that, you know, to get into some of the other things, I, I like Fairley's approach. Like you said, it's it's essentially um, a racially tinged drama mixed with a, a road trip comedy, and I and I like that mix because that's what the story was. They they were on this road trip and and all of that. Now, there's been some reports that the screenplay, you know, fudges a lot of the truth. In which case, I would just reply that this is not a documentary. Um, what, what's that word, Joel? It starts with an A and ends with an adaptation. I can't think <laughs> of the word, but I think you you adapt it, and it's not going to be one hundred percent. It's it's a right. weird word. I'll and get to it in just a second. And it's obviously partly because one of the screenwriters is the is the I think the grandson or the son of the Mortensen character, and so there's there's going to be a bit of a perspective thing there about the stories he was told, and so obviously that's going to be. You know, there's there's going to be fudging of the truth because um, it's kind of a secondhand account of a biased account um, in terms of just the 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 fact that the younger Valalonga, Nick Valalonga, who co-wrote the screenplay, is not going to have the perspective that his dad had, and his dad's perspective is going to be slightly marred by the fact that he that it was in the moment, um, and so you're you're going to have all of these connections that that don't perfectly come out to the truth and, it, and it's inevitable about that but we're here to review the story as it was as it is told or how it is told and how it is told is quite well um quite good and i think that um yeah i mean like you i think people need to come down it's not a great movie but it's it's a well-meaning and it's uh a genuinely good-hearted one and i and i and i, and I like that about it, it it's um it pulls at the heartstrings in fairly obvious ways, but sometimes it earns them, and I and I and I liked it. So, I'm giving it a B. Uh, I think it's quite good. Uh, we we definitely both had had a good response to this. I think that we're both definitely in the bag for this. I I, I think we you know people should see it for sure. And, and Joel, just um, real quick before you go over to the favorite, um, what was the uh, the number one um, uh, thing that Vigo said in the movie that made you laugh the hardest? Because I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you mine. Oh, uh, there's something where he's, um, uh, I think it's about a, the car. No, 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 no. Was it, it, it was, was about a specific, was it a painter that he was trying to pronounce or who, who was it? Oh yes, it was the paint. No, it was the, 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 not painter. It was a Chopin, the, the, um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. uh, the, where he calls him Joe Pan. Cause he didn't really clearly hear what, what, uh, Shirley had said. Uh, where he called him Joe Pan, uh, just funny. Uh, Chopin's a pianist. Um, uh, a oh famous, yeah, yeah, that's uh, what. It is. Yeah, so uh, a composer and 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 all that. Uh, it, it just yeah, it's really funny. And there's moments like that in the character of the Mortensen character that he just he just can't help it. Uh, you know, he well, it's he's like the... very he's very he's very forward in a lot of what he says. And well, it, it's like know, the. What was the TV spot that was uh, when they get to the motel? I still laughed at it in the movie, and he's like, "Man, it looks like my ass." Like, yes, <laughs> yes, like that's that. what the yeah. That's the me. other thing that that made me cackle. I, I just, I just, yeah, it's really funny sometimes, and it's because of Farrelly's kind of 
refusal to to shy away from the human nature of these characters that that you know one of them is very very closed off from everybody else and so that so he's a bit you know ridiculous in terms of that um, well, and, he comes, and also he comes off a bit a bit ridiculous, and then well, the other guy's a total cartoon. Who it, 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 wor- it works away. well because, like like you say, he's a total cartoon, and we laugh at some of the most ridiculous things that he he says and does. Yeah. But at the at the end of the day, he's got flaws, but we can we can we can kind of grow with him a little bit better. We can kind of empathize with him a little bit more. Um, yeah. Than say someone that was just straight up a dick and a racist. It's like yeah. Well, this By isn't the time- like. By the time they reach their venue that he's going to – the final venue that he's going to play, which is a Christmas show, and literally the subject of the show can't eat with everybody else because he's black. And that scene is just great. Um, it, it really plays out in this way that uh, it kind of gets, again, to the heart of the movie. I, I think I think that scene and the, and the, the stop off uh, at the side of the – the road scene just both really speak to the heart of this movie. I, and it's a movie with a lot of heart. I, I, I liked it. Um, it kind of reminded me, it, it kind of reminded me in a way of something like remember the Titans, which exist, it, which, which took place in a similar era. Um, there was, there was similar stuff going on or something like it's better than this, but um, uh, what was that movie? It was uh, glory road. Uh, where sports has been replaced by uh, a concert tour, <laughs> but it still s- sort of exists in that same arena where there's something going on and the backdrop is the racial scene of the sixties. And we get a, we get a, a, a point of view of that. That's simplistic, but, uh, or simple, I should I, I guess simplistic in the same way, but, but not to the degree that I think a lot of people are calling it a disaster. And I, I just, you're, you're totally right. I, I, I'm a little baffled by the, 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 the complete vilification of this movie um, is just a little ridiculous to me. I, I think it's perfectly fine. It's, it's 10 times better than The Blind Side, which I don't like. I am not a fan of that movie. I think it's one of the worst Best Picture nominees ever. Um, just about that, that I've seen, um, lower than Les Miserables, which I hate and lower than Crash, which I hate. So I, I just, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I think it's perfectly fine. Um, and it's a good movie too. So yeah. Uh, all right. So B for me, B plus for Mr. Lee, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be moving on to my review of the favorite. Now this one is the newest film from director Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, comes from uh, who uh, who is the director of such films like Dogtooth and the Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer and those are the three of his films that I've seen. He's done other works. Um, there was one between Dogtooth and the Lobster called Alps that I haven't seen, and he did two movies before Dogtooth that I that I haven't seen that are completely unavailable as far as I can see. But um, I've I've now seen four of them, and I can tell you right now that the favorite is my favorite of his movies and just put up with me with my stumbling into uh, obvious puns regarding the title. It's just the title. So chase, please don't like burst into laughter. If I call this my favorite, something just, just do me that favor. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I can't promise you anything. (laughs) 
<laughs> that, that was exactly the response that I suspected you would give. Um, all right, guys, this is a great movie. Uh, I, I cannot wait to talk about this. So the plot of this one uh, follows three women. Um, uh, Olivia Coleman plays Queen Anne. Uh, in early 18th century Britain, as Britain is at war with France, she's trying to finance it through taxes that are um, being um, suggested by a member of her, of her parliament, played by Nicholas Holt. Uh, Rachel Weisz plays Sarah, Sarah the Duchess of Marlborough, who is the Queen's confidant um, and advisor. Um, and Emma Stone plays Abigail Hill, who is Sarah's cousin from a problematic branch of that family. Uh, the father gambled away a lot of their money. And so she's kind of been ostracized, but she's, she's arrived at the court, uh, of Queen Anne to seek work and discovers, uh, well, okay. So it's a little tricky to know what plot to reveal here. Uh, there's a lot of surprises, but I'm going to throw caution to the wind and just say that Abigail discovers that the queen's relationship with her advisor is maybe more than just a confidant and advisor. There's there's something else going on there, and she decides to use that for a bit of con artistry. Um, and that's all I'm gonna say. There's so much going on here, um, and that's maybe what through the first 45 minutes it's it goes off on another several uh, several tangents um, for the next hour and 15 minutes, uh, but. Guys, this movie is all in the barbs. Uh, it's all in the wicked dialogue between characters who are constantly trying to tear each other down. And this is pretty much not the most kind of um, – weirdly enough, I think it's a warmer movie despite the fact that it's about sarcastic characters trying to tear each other down. I think it's a warmer movie than his previous three that I've seen. Um Certainly, certainly warmer than Dogtooth, which was about an isolated family, um, and there's incest involved, and there's a bunch of weird stuff, um, lots of crazy, weird horror things. Uh, it's it's a really good movie. Um, I would say maybe The Lobster is a bit warmer, uh, a, a, bit, a bit less warm than The Favorite, but a bit warmer than his other two that I've seen. That includes The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which was which definitely had a coldness to it. Um, especially to the filmmaking because of the fisheye cinematography that he had employed. And he employs that again here, but I think to a story that uh, confronts the tragedy of Queen Anne, who here is a frail and, and uh, a frail woman whose body is failing her and mind is even more so failing her. Uh, and meanwhile, you have these two women who are kind of at odds with each other in their quest to, uh, become the court favorite of the queen and seek her approval and everything. Um, meanwhile, there's a couple of uh, subplots that I won't get into. One involves a, a, a politically expedient marriage, and the other one involves a, a, an attempt to murder someone else that it, that goes unexpectedly awry. Um, and basically this whole thing is just I, I i described it on facebook and on twitter i think as um barry linden uh which is stanley kubrick's one of his best films uh from 1975 meets love and friendship that film with uh kate beckinsale from a few years ago directed by Whit stillman uh which was also about con artists and you had barry linden was about um 
power struggle at the top of you know kind of uh, uh, regimes of, of of a royal sort, um, and they've kind of come together, and then a bucket of acid is thrown on them. Um, and I think that that's kind of the perfect description for something like this. It's uh, it's just so so um, devilish, kind of. That's the perfect word for it. It's kind of devious and devilish, and incredibly entertaining. The production design on this movie is intimidatingly good. It, it it is so so seamless in its recreation of this era of Britain's uh, high court. Um, all the uh, all the costumes and the makeup and the and the sets and the um, the landscapes it, it just remarkably vivid uh, and somehow the majesty of it isn't isn't um, let down by the fact that once again, Lanthimos and cinematographer Robbie Ryan, who's one of the great modern cinematographers, um, are employing the same fisheye cinematography, very and also uh, kind of uh, canted wide angles from kind of the waist level. If it isn't fisheye, um, there's rarely a, a close up in this and there's and when they happen they they count uh for the best <laughs> it's just there's this great kind of little scoff of um uh, it's it's in the trailer but the context is even better that Emma Stone has at one point that is one of the great recent close ups um anyway it's just this story of jealousy and codependency and and madness and uh you know, just backstabbing and, and, and all of that. It's just so much fun. It's some of the most fun I've had watching a movie this year. Um, but it also is a little bit more than that. There's again, we get to the tragedy of the queen Anne character, um, who is just such a pathetic person. She's ruling by, you know, like improvisational whim, essentially all the time. Uh, just kind of makes rulings whenever she feels like it and holds off of really important rulings if she just doesn't have the head for them. And it's just, yeah, it's just this great story of these three women who are kind of losing control of things about their lives in this era where they have to constantly take back power from men who are repeatedly ruling them. And um, yeah, it's just a film full of great, like dialogue, dialogue comebacks. There's one setup, uh, one exchange that, um, I will only give the first two, two or three lines of it, but it's between Emma Stone and, and a character played by Joe Alwyn, uh, who comes into her quarters one night and she says, are you here to seduce me or rape me? He says, I am a gentleman and I'm not going to give away the, uh, the <laughs> the punchline, but it's probably the line of the year, and it actually is very topical to this year um, in the the current climate uh, with Me Too and and Times Up. It's it's um, it's great in that context, and it would just be a great comeback in general. But but it does take on kind of this added bonus pleasure pleasurable thing. It, it's just it's great, and it, it kind of reflects the movie at large. This movie about smart characters trying to outwit each other and and um a great story of um of intelligence uh, told with intelligence and with a lot 
of humor, barbed, spiked humor and, and, and visual wit. It's just, it's just fabulous. It's one of my favorite films of the year. I literally cannot figure out any sort of thing that I have wrong with this. And so, um, while that doesn't usually mean that I'm going to give something an A plus, I, I can't think of anything else to give this. I'm giving it an A plus. It's, it's, near the top of my list this year. I'll just give that away, I guess. But, um, and add, and, and as I told, um, Chase yesterday, just add more, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, pressure on him to, to see it and then knock something else off his list. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I had to knock some, some stuff off already. And this is just one of the reasons it's, it's one of the best films of the year. Absolutely. No doubt. And I cannot wait for you to see it so that we can discuss it because it's it's a pretty amazing movie and I just I just loved every second so um, an A plus for me um, I assume that this means you're you're just dreading this you're 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 just dreading this movie you're like I just want to see second act with Jennifer Lopez and not this I'm just kidding <laughs> what are you high uh, no I, I'm looking forward to it I've heard the 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 best like kind of review a little blurb I've heard about this movie is that as soon as this person walked out of the movie, they said, uh, I, I immediately want to watch it again and yeah. they watched it again. And then they got the screener and then they said, they saw it like two or three more times. And I'm like, Oh wow. So it, this is going to be a very rewatchable movie. And I can't yes, wait. It is. It is incredibly rewatchable. I, it, there's, it's just the rhythms and the textures are absolutely one of those things where you just have to jump right back into it to, to, witness it all again and i feel like you this is one of those movies you could get something out of every time and that's the, the something different i should say out of it every time and that's the mark of a great movie uh, it, it really is you watching a movie for the first time and then and then coming at it again and finding something else it, it just i can see because there's so much going on um so many jokes not even just told just visual jokes that i i think that um, and in a high-minded way, it, it's um, high-minded trash talk, kind of. Uh, it's it's great, and I I just I love it. So um, anyway, yeah, a plus for me. Um, I, I just I can't wait for you to see it, man. I I can't uh, wait. Yeah, it's in a couple days. Yeah, awesome. All right, guys. Uh, let me get some stuff open here, and I'm gonna um, have Chase uh, guess. Actually, no. Hold on. Before I get to that because of an update thing that we have uh, that we're going to talk about. Um, go into this first. So we have some changes coming to the show, uh, and the box office is part of them. So before I wanted to do the box office, I just wanted to tell you all this stuff. Chase is going to help me out here. Um, we have some changes coming to the show in the new year. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask Chase... Uh, and this is kind of directly related to some behind-the-scenes drama in terms of internet connectivity and all of that. Chase, how has the show gone in terms of me always staying uh, like audible for you? There has been there was a couple times in the beginning of the episode where like you would say your sentence and maybe one word would kind of bleep out, but other than that, crystal clear. Excellent. So that's pretty much definite uh, a definite pass. In which case, we are 
uh, kind of excited to tell you that there's going to be some differences next year. Uh, the next few shows are going to be the same, and in fact, we're going to be bringing you a bunch of shows before uh, January 2nd, I guess you could say. Um, next week is going to be Mortal Engines. We're kind of fulfilling that whole, uh, you know, we're coming at it mysteriously. We haven't we haven't talked about it at all, um, or haven't uh, uh, you know seen anything about it at all, I should say. Uh, and then we'll we'll be doing Aquaman and If Beale Street Could Talk at the same time on December 30th because Chase is going to be out of town the weekend that Aquaman comes out. Um, but also coming the week of Aquaman and Beale Street is our top 10 of the year. Uh, we're we're going to be recording that one on the evening of the 28th and posting it on the 31st. Last day of the year just seems fitting. Um, I feel like we'll have seen enough movies, uh, you know, not everything, but enough movies that we can um, uh, confidently go into a top ten. And we're obviously bringing back Mark Dusick uh, from last year. Had a lot of fun talking with him, and we'll have a lot of fun again. Um, and then on January 1st, we're cutting the number in half, but we're doing our top five most anticipated films of 2019. Um, and then... And then we're starting a new kind of in the new year where uh, we're starting off with Escape Room and and moving from there. We've already got January planned out in terms of the main reviews, and I'm still figuring out my extra reviews. But um, generally going to be for January, the extra reviews will be 2018 holdovers that kind of expand throughout late December and and throughout January. Um, and then once February comes. Uh, our main reviews will be accompanied by my extra review of a 2019 movie. So past January 2018 will be done. Um, also the structure of the show is going to change. Um, I will, I will let, uh, chase announce one of the things because it was actually on his end that the idea, uh, came about, but it was on my end that this first one did. Uh, we are going to be switching, the trailers and news segments uh, on the show from uh, beginning on the January 6th episode um, because I'm doing something rather drastic. Um, I am no longer going to watch trailers. Uh, I think I'm going to keep that up for about a year, and then I'm going to go from there and 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 see what happens. If, if it turns out that I can't stay away... Um, then I'll just I'll just come back to it and we'll and we may just keep that structure or we may switch back to this one. But for now, I think that what I need to do is stay away from trailers for the most part. There's going to be some that that I might chime in on. Uh, I'm not going to be able to avoid the Star Wars Episode Nine trailer, for instance. That's not going to happen. But um, some of these little trailers, like I could easily have skipped the pledge trailer. I, I wouldn't have missed anything. Uh, <laughs> you know. It's a, it's it's not possible, but I think that what just needs to happen for me right now is that I need to stay away from trailers. I want to also we're, we're also cutting down the amount of news that we talk about uh, by a little bit. Um, so we're, what we'll probably do is like maybe two or three um, or even one or two big news stories plus a casting corner thing, which. You know, we always try to, or we have always tried to put that all of that together recently. Um, 
and then obviously I won't have Oscar beat in the new year, but um, or at least not very long into the new year. Uh, I am going to finish that out. And then beyond that, you know, it'll be a little bit shorter just because we'll only be talking about one or two big news items in the casting. So um, we're, we're cutting all of that down. Uh, I just feel like this will shorten the show a bit. You know, we, we like bringing nice size shows to you guys, but you know, we, we, <laughs> we've, we've got lives too. And, and that's, that's just me being honest. We love doing the show, but you know, it would be it would be a little easier to fit into our schedules if it was a shorter show too. So we're we're trying to figure out ways of consolidating. Um, and I think that um, only one person talking about trailers will do that, especially because I've just been feeling like I need to cut down on those. Um, and also just fewer news items. Um, Chase, I will switch it over to you to talk about what's going to happen with the box office section section of the show. Um, and then I will present one final note about when this show is going to show up each week. So uh, take it away with what's going to happen to the box office. We ain't doing it anymore. Um, <laughs> listen, the, the reason why the box office was a part of this show in the first place is because uh, I like, I liked doing it, but the problem is the box office numbers don't come in until about 11 a.m., 11.30 a.m. Central Standard Time, uh, depending on, you know, the day. I mean, sometimes it's a little later, sometimes it's earlier. And so in order to not constrain Joel and I's schedule to just Sunday, we were going to go move to a different day. Now, whatever day that Joel reveals, just know that you know, if something in our lives kind of happens to where we can't do it on this day, then we have a couple other days to kind of do a little leeway. So that that's what kind of, this gives us more leeway to do it just in case if one of us is out of town or whatever. But Joel, what is the new day that we want to do this? Yeah, essentially the, the, the feeling, the, 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 uh, idea behind this is that right now the default day to record is Sunday. Uh, you know, we, sometimes we have to move that because of schedule stuff, but now, um, we're going to move the default day to Friday nights. So, and we're not going to be recording live. Uh, Chase has decided that, right? I, I, you, you've kept that kind of, yeah, thing. I'm not doing yeah. that. I mean, we're not recording okay. live right now. <laughs> right. So <laughs> there we go. Because, you know, partly because it doesn't really matter if we record live. Um, and partly because a lot of you tend to, it seems tend to listen later into the week, you know, Monday or Tuesday or something. So, it doesn't really matter if we record live. And so we're going to be now posting episodes on Saturday mornings um, around the same time as we would on a Sunday, you know, something like 10. I can't imagine that Chase is going to change that time um, sometime around 10. And but we're going to we're going to set Friday evenings as the default time to record the show. That way we have the rest of the weekend. Um, you know, I have Fridays off at work and it just made sense that we should not try to put something on a day where I'm not off and I can't take off cause we can't take weekend days off at work. Um, you know, just, just to kind of do that. Uh, it, it just makes way more sense. And I think that it'll open the show up a little bit more, um, you know, to maybe even, you know, slightly longer, longer reviews than, than we generally give now, because our green book review wasn't that long. It was like, what, 20 minutes, something like that. 
And it was in the midst of a show that was, you know, a lot of time. <laughs> I don't know how long, two hours and 26 minutes, something like that. So yeah, I just, um, uh, I think that it'll open the show up a little bit more and, and, and I think that it's, it's a good decision and, I should just make clear again about the trailers. This is half a thing for the show because I think that it'll shorten the length of uh, the length of it, and partly because personally I just feel like I need to step away from that part of the film world. Um, so fun fact: whenever I came on the show, um, it was it was only a couple of months after I had made an attempt to stop watching trailers. Um, and then whenever I came on the show, I was like, well, okay, so this is, you know, we got to do this now because I'm coming on a, on a show where the other person talks about trailers. I got to join that up. So we don't want to take the trailers away. We've, we've heard from one or two of you that, uh, you know, we should keep the trailers on there, but, um, I just feel like I need to step away from that so that I can kind of focus on a totally neutral position of walking into the into the um theater so again with with few exceptions that will probably specifically very um uh, calculatedly position in the show something like star wars or or uh, uh maybe the next avengers trailer or something like that um not the spider-man trailer but you know some of the other ones I'll, I'm, I'm probably going to chip in on those but it's um but for the most part, like 99% of the trailers, I'm not going to be talking about anymore because I feel like I've got to step away from that to kind of just refocus my energy on um, watching the movies. That it's just that's just what I feel like I got to do. So um, again, you know, <laughs> nothing uh, nothing like personal toward the toward the show. Just just personal for me on that end. But I think I'm excited for these movements now. I was going to have Chase guess the top 10, but I mean the top five, I should say I'm not, I'm just going to go ahead and report it. Chase, uh, don't worry about guessing. And that's mainly because the top five remained exactly the same from last week. Exactly. So, nothing came out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except so, I, I'm really excited for you to get to the Aquaman news. Cause it did open up in foreign markets today or this weekend. And it, I let, let's just say this. I already looked at the number. It's impressive. Ah, I'm going to look at that because I'm trying to figure out how to view that on box office mojo. I've never, I've never actually looked at that on here. Um, I guess I'll have you report it, but let's, let's get to the top five. So remaining at number five, Bohemian Rhapsody with 6 million. Uh, this thing is a huge hit. I think it's made 500 million worldwide. Right. And then, um, uh, yeah, remaining at number four, Fantastic Beasts with 6.8 million. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Creed 2 is at number three with 10 million. And The Grinch is at number two with 15.2 million. Um, Ralph Breaks the Internet with 16.1. Topped the inter- topped the, uh, the box office again. Now, this is the first time in a while that two animated movies have topped the box office. I, I can't think of the last time that was the case, although it happened last week, too. Uh, so I guess that was the last time. But the last time, different movies uh, topped the box office in both places. I don't know what that would have been unless it was Toy Story 3 and Despicable Me. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. But um, Green Book did shoot up from number 10 to number 7, even though it only rose 0.1%. 
Um, it just made three point nine million, and because it was such a light weekend, yeah, it's a good number. Um, the Schindler's List re-release in uh, sort of concurrently to its four K release on um, on home video made five hundred fifty one thousand. Uh, pretty good news, you know. They don't uh, these re-releases don't typically do like great, but that's pretty good. Um, it was also the initial release for Mary Queen of Scots and Vox Lux which both made really impressive debuts in smaller theater in in uh, limited release um, Mary Queen of Scots made 50,000 per theater in four theaters for $200,000 that's good that's a really good number that's the highest per theater average of the week um, there was also Ben is back also uh, opened in limited release Vox Lux made 162.2 thousand uh, and then Ben is back made 80,000 uh, and the favorite jumped up a bit and made fifteen thousand per theater. That's nice to see. I have a feeling that this can, that that it's going to be a big hit um, in the uh, in the limited market. So uh, good news all around. Not a not a whole lot of movement, um, except that there was a re-release of The Wife this weekend, uh, the one with Glenn Close, and because of that, it jumped up from number seventy nine to number twenty two with a Twenty thousand eight hundred and seventy-five point two percent jump. It made two hundred twenty-two thousand uh, dollars. I still have not seen that movie, but I've been hearing pretty good things about it. So I guess I need to catch up with it or try to catch up with it before um, before the Oscars because it could be that this is the best actress winner uh, for Glenn Close. We'll we'll see about that. But um, but yeah. So that's pretty much the news, guys. Uh, not a lot happened. It's going to be big next week with. Like what three movies in wide release? Uh, the Mule from Clint Eastwood. Even there's not really much buzz yet about that. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I know you hated. I'm just trying to get the reaction out of him. Um, and then uh, of course Mortal Engines, which we'll see because again, not a whole lot of buzz. Uh, even like just I haven't been paying attention to it, but I haven't even seen any. Uh, so it's just. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, we'll see about that. And again, we're reviewing Mortal Engines next week. Um, so Chase, any any last thoughts? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Aquaman opened up in China, right? And yeah. made ninety three million. Oh, awesome! In China, yeah. That, that is very Whoa. hard to get to that number. Like that. <laughs> this movie's gonna crush. I I I, I can't wait. Um. Yeah, so that, that's all I wanted to say. But just to wrap things I know, up, I know a sequel's already in development. Yeah, uh, they're so. they're already fast tracking that. So hey, yeah. good on them. I'm glad they're making a, a bounce back from Justice League. So um, yeah, so that will do it for the show, guys. If you guys want to follow us on any of our social medias, or you know, follow Joel on his reviews uh, on his website or my YouTube channel, all those links will be in the description below. And guys, just get ready for the onslaught because I'm I'm excited to. Uh, deliver all this to you guys. You know, next week we got Mortal Engines, then we're going to take a week off, and then you guys will get three episodes in a row. It's going to be massive. I cannot wait. Yeah, literally, literally consecutive days. It's going to be it's going to be insane. We've got um, literally thirtieth, thirty first, and first. 
episodes. So yeah, it, it's have gonna a lot be so much fun, <laughs> so much fun. So yeah, so that will uh, be the rest of the schedule for the end of the year um, in December. So next week for two fifty eight, we have Mortal Engines. But let us know all your thoughts down below on this week's episode two hundred and fifty seven. That is Joel over there. I am Chase. Peace out, everyone. You guys are awesome, and remember to spread this around on social media. Let people know this is the Defendant Movie Podcast. Reel me in. Uh, colon a movie podcast peace out everyone bye 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 now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the dominion energy reliability investment our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.